Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Well, thank you, Scott Fransky. Good morning, everybody, except it's not. With Mike Sielski, I'm Glenn Mack now. Mike, just an absolutely terrible loss. Mental mistakes by the Phillies. Base running blunders. Bullpen meltdown. Poor decisions by the manager. They had a chokehold on Arizona, and they, they blew that. I almost blew it there by not turning on yep. my mic. Uh, you didn't mention the worst offense of all, Glenn. Uh, never trust a closer with a man bun. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, losing game three, I felt, you know, stuff happens. Bats go cold. You're not going to win every single game. Uh, Marte walked it off. But this one, so many opportunities to win it on offense, to stop Arizona on defense, and they, they, they get a lead and they piddle it away. They played like a team, I thought, that thought it had the series in the bag. And the Phillies have rightly been praised, and people love them around here for being loose, for being fun, for the way they celebrate after each series victory. Well, there's a time for buttoning up, too. And I haven't seen that from this team in the last couple of games. And the thing that's disconcerting to me, Glenn, is they've lost three games in this postseason, and they've had leads late in all three and couldn't hold on. Yeah, well, the the bullpen had some great numbers through whatever, the first series, the first two series, and into this one, not so much now. So now it's two games to two. The Phillies need uh, Wheeler and Nola to really pick it up, and Arizona's got Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly coming back. By the way, Zach Gallen. ERA at home a full two points lower than his ERA on the road. He's like 2.42 at home, 4.42 on the road. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. I picked the Phillies in six, and that possibility still exists. But as you just said, Zach Allen, the Zach Allen that people saw in game one is not likely to be the Zach Allen that people see in game five. And the approaches that Phillies hitters have taken in these last two games – has been markedly different and markedly worse from games one and two. Uh, Nick Castellanos is a problem again. A hole in the lineup. And, you know, the other thing I'd say, Glenn, and this is something that that I think should have been on people's minds heading into this series and throughout the postseason, is as much as the Phillies, and I believe they are, are a team built for a playoff run in that they can get hot, they have a deep lineup, it doesn't take but one or two or three guys really going well for them to finish off a series quickly. And you saw that with the Marlins, and you saw that with the Braves. 
You saw that last year, quite frankly, too. But the inverse of that is true, too. Everybody remembers Game 3 last year against the Astros. And what was it, five, six home runs, and Bryce Harper hits the first pitch he sees in that game for a two-run homer, and the Phillies are up two games to one. And they struggled to put the ball in play over the next three games. Well, they got no hit. Right. And struck out time after time after time. And that's the dark side, so to speak, of this team is that as hot as they can be and as hot as they were offensively in games one and two and throughout that series against the Braves, they can get that cold. And I think that's the worry for everyone who's watching this team is like, oh, my gosh, are we going to see the Phillies who just swing and miss again and again and again? It's going to have to be a great Zach Wheeler performance is what I anticipate. All right, let's go through it. We're going to take you through the game. We're going to give you our observations on everything that happened, the good, the bad, and the extremely ugly. So let's begin. Uh, Joe Mantiply, Mantiply, the lefty reliever, starts them off. Uh, and by the way, from the start, neither team liked the strike zone, and I thought the umpires evenly called it poorly. Yeah. Uh, Dan I, uh, Iasonia was bad in game three, and it was bad last night, and uh, both teams were not happy. All right, so in the first inning, one man out, Trey Turner, second guy up. He singles. Nice. Very nice. And then this. Perdomo again shaded up the middle. Rivera at shortstop right now, and the runner goes. They haven't picked off. The throw to Walker. Now the throw down to second, and he's out at second base. As Mantiply with the caught stealing of Turner, who's finally caught stealing. One, three, six, the put out, and there's out number two. I like the aggressive play there. I think Turner kind of gave it away because he was a little uh, leaning, a little bit, a little jumpy that towards the bag, and I think that kind of set it up for Mantiply to go over to first. So here's the thing. The guy who had not gotten caught stealing all year, they set a major league record for most stolen bases without a caught, gets picked off. That's what I mean by buttoned up, though, Glenn. And Larry Anderson made a great point of Turner looking jumpy at first base. You're still up two games to one in the series. You have control of this series. You don't need to be jumpy. You don't need to be to, to go out and run and try to grab the series back. You have it. Play your game. And that was a bad sign right at the jump. All right, so that, that ends any threat in the first. Christopher Sanchez, the lefty, he's the pitcher for the Phillies. By the way, he has had exactly one inning in relief since September 30th. So he's a little rusty, yeah. A little bit, but you know what? He's starting, gets him down in the first, mm-hmm. looks good. Second inning, Arizona switch it. By the way, just for what it's worth, and I know it's going to make me sound like dinosaur, the bullpen game is stupid. Yeah. It just is really stupid. I don't like it. But it, both teams did it, so there you go. Uh, Luis Frijas pitching for Arizona. JT hits one hard to left field. Gurriel makes a great catch at the wall. Would have yep. been a home run here. There you go. Bottom of the second. Now, here's where first gets ominous. Yes. Christian Walker, grounder to Alec Bohm. Bohm sails one high error. Yes. Bohm, who's been a gold who's glover. Been, yeah, he's been Brooks Robinson yeah. for the series. Yeah. Okay. Up comes Lourdes Gurriel. Uh, and, by the way, Ranger Suarez is a terrific fielder. Yeah. Gold glove lever, level fielder as, as a pitcher. Yes. Not in this play. And the pitch. Swing at a ground ball back at Sanchez, who's got it. He forgets how many outs there are. He throws to first. And he'll get the out at first, but he forgot about Walker going to second. So Christian Walker in scoring position on what should have been a double play ball. He might have forgotten that Bohm made an error first hitter. By the way, shame on me. I'm saying Ranger Suarez when I'm thinking Sanchez. Suarez is the great fielder. Sanchez is not, not. necessarily. But 
nonetheless, easy double play. He literally forgot. There yes. was a man on first. That's the second time we've seen that in this series. Remember in game two, the Diamondbacks left fielder uh, on the Phillies' 10th run forgot how many outs there were. I, I don't understand this. It's a playoff game, guys. Like, lock yourselves in mentally. You're the pitcher. You're yeah. the man on first base. You, should, you know that. Every Little League coach from the beginning of time has told his players, think about what you're going to do with the ball if it's hit to you mm-hmm. before it's hit to you. Yeah. Even so, the pitcher. So you got the error by Bohm, then you have the mental error here by Sanchez, and then you get a pass ball by Real Muto. Not good. No, Longoria walks, uh, and uh, Emmanuel Rivera drives in the first run with a liner up the middle. So that's one nothing Arizona. Three big mistakes in the same inning by the Phillies. You're, you're giving them runs, Glenn. Button up. Tighten up. All right, uh, bottom of the third, uh, Marte singles, wild pitch by Sanchez, Granat moves the runner, in comes Jeff Hoffman. Now, Gabriel Moreno singles to make it 2 to nothing. I'm still not worried. I don't know how you're feeling at this. I'm still like, yeah, it's going to be okay. I'm not worried for the outcome of the game. I'm wondering why Jeff Hoffman is in the game at that point. You know what? It's a great point. Do me a favor. Mark that. Okay. Okay, because it's, it's, we're going to have to deep dive into that. Yeah. Yes, and by the way, the runner comes in, but on the night, Jeff Hoffman, one and two-thirds innings pitch, 25 pitches, 20 for strikes. He's their best pitcher in the bull, out of the bullpen. Right okay. Now. Not close. Yeah, and so, yeah, let, we'll get back to that. All right, so you're down two to nothing. Here we go, top of the fourth. Here comes Kyle Schwarber. You know what's happening. Three balls and two strikes. Blue stick. Yeah. From the third base side of the rubber, he delivers. Fastball hit in the air, deep to right field. That is a blast, and it is gone. And the Phillies are on the board, and Kyle Schwarber points to his dugout, says, let's go. It's a 2-1 game. You got to hope that's going to be something to get this Phils going. Well, it certainly woke up the Phillies crowd that's here. All right, a couple of things. Um, Tom McCarthy appears to be the guy who should call. The whole game. Not that I don't love Fransky. Right. Every time he's in, the Phillies hit a home run. They hit when he is calling the game. They really do. Um, That was Schwarber's fourth home run of the NLCS. He now has the most home runs in the history of the postseason among left-handed hitters, passing a guy named Reggie Jackson. Pretty impressive. Now, look, those numbers are goosed because there are so many more postseason games now than there used to be, but still very impressive. Oh, he is Mr. Postseason home run. All right, you're down two to one. Here we go. Let's go to the top of the fifth. Stott grounds out. Stott not having a good series. No. Uh, Real Muto singles to center. Castellanos, who you mentioned before, grounds out, moves a runner. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't exactly a lightning bolt off the bat, but I guess moving the runner okay. is good. In comes Andrew Salfrank, their rookie. He's their Orion Kirkery. Yes. Came up at the very end of the year, young, looked really good. They're throwing him into the playoffs with, I think he had 10 major league innings to his name. Oh, I mean, Torrey Lovello pitched everybody in the playoffs. It's a wonder they didn't re-sign Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling and have them pitch in the 7th and 8th inning. But they like this kid. But yesterday, he, like somebody else we just mentioned, ended up having a lot of trouble. Brandon Marsh doubles on a sharp uh, fly to center fielder uh, uh, Corbin Carroll. Uh, and then JT Real Muto. Oh, yeah, I wanted to play that. Excuse me. Brandon. Here, here comes Brandon, Brandon Marsh, Marsh, excuse me, with man on second. One ball and one strike. Marsh set to go. Here's the pitch. 
Swung on, hit in the air, out toward left center field. It's well hit. Carroll going back toward the warning track. It's over his head and a one-hop off the wall. Real Muto will score, and the Phillies have tied this game up. It's an RBI double for an emotional Brandon Marsh, and it's a 2-2 game. There you go. By the way, according to whatever computer they feed this all into, at that time the Phillies had a 48.5% chance to win the game. You know, good piece of hitting by Brandon Marsh. Mm-hmm. That, that's a that's the kind of hit that he wasn't getting last season. Shows the strides he's made as a hitter this season. I think if you're a Phillies fan, you're feeling pretty good about things there, right? You've wiped out a 2 nothing deficit. You've got guys picking each other up. It's 2-2, but I don't care what the percentages say. You're looking at that, and you're saying, all right, the Phillies are kind of back where they need to be. Yeah, yeah, I was feeling good there. I was feeling good, and then I was feeling a lot better when it came to be the sixth inning, and they let that kid Sal Frank in, who, by the way, worst body language I've seen on a major league pitcher in a long time. He cannot hide his disgust at himself or the umpires. Yeah, not good. And and opposing teams pick up on that. Sure. Absolutely do. Uh, He walks Schwarber. And then with Turner up, uh, something that I don't know that I've ever seen happen happens. The ball gets stuck in the equipment of the catcher underneath his chest protector. He can't find. He's running around. I had no idea about that rule. No. I had no no clue. It's a it's a catcher's balk. Yep, yep, a catcher's balk. So Schwarber goes to second. Never seen it. I've been watching baseball my whole life. Don't know that I've ever seen it. No. And no. they say it's there. They were explaining it that it's uh to. To stop a catcher from like picking up a loose ball with his with his face mask, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure why he can't do that anyway, but yeah, he right. can't. And so if the catcher uses his equipment to do something with the ball, it's it's uh, it's a ball. It prevents them from doing the hidden ball. All right, trick so or well there like you that. go. So Schwarber to second. Uh, Trey Turner walks. This guy can't get no. anybody out. Bryce Harper's up. He wants to swing, but the kid can't throw a strike. Takes three walks on three and two. They get the kid out. Yeah, finally. In comes Ryan Thompson. Mm-hmm. In comes Alec Bohm. Up next ensues one of the odder plays of the night. The base is loaded. The first pitch coming to Alec Bohm from the righty. Swing at a bouncer. Over to third. It's a fair ball. Rivera will throw home on one hop. Off the glove of Moreno. It trickles behind home plate. One run is in. Here comes Turner. Gracefully sliding in for the second run. And Alec Bohm is tagged out as the throw goes to second base. But the Phillies get two runs on a bouncing ball up the third baseline that Andy Fletcher called fair. And the errant throw by Rivera makes it a 4-2 game. All right, let's cover the good before the bad. How about okay, that? Let's do it. All right. The good is that, well, the good is that the kid made the bad throw. A, the kid made the bad throw. B, terrific base running by Trey Turner. To Graceful, score, gracefully slides. Gracefully slides. Uh, but to score on that play, yes. not everybody scores on that play from second base. Right. He knew when to when to keep going. Fortunately, I don't I don't know what the third base coach was doing at the time. I hope it, they tend to ignore him and yeah. just go <laughs> and score. Well, they've and, already established that precedent. Yeah. Right. Whatever okay. Dusty Wathen's doing, do the opposite. Right. Okay. So there you go. So now they're getting the lead. And uh oh, how did that play end? Oh, with Alec Bohm getting thrown out at second base. Like right. Twenty feet. Yeah. Yeah. You can that that's one of the things. You know, Glenn, we talk a lot about the division and the evolution of baseball and the division between analytics and old-school, instinctual kinds of plays, right? And the sport obviously changed the rules to get more of the instinctual action plays in there. But that's a situation. If you're Alec Bohm, you have to say to yourself, outs are important here. 
I cannot make an out at second base. The only way that I'm going is if I am 100% sure that I'm making it. If there's any chance that I can be thrown out, I can't try to take that extra base. And he did, and it cost him. It was a really poor mental game by Alec Bohm. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I, I mean, I guess the, the error was not a mental error. The error at third base, it was just a physical error. That happens, but... Sheesh, that was a really bad play. But you're up four to two, and now here we go. We're into the Phillies bullpen. Getting... I, I swear to God, at this point, I'm going, all right, there's there's 12 outs they got to cover, six through nine. Mm-hmm. Can I get three from this guy? Three, And I'm already counting them down yeah. and getting nervous. Fortunately, Sir Anthony Dominguez gets the six, gets through it. Okay. Right, dances through the raindrops, he gets through it. All right, so here we go. Into the seventh, and a guy who was, what, one for his last 55? Felt that way. Is up. Johan Rojas is up, and I'm thinking, all right, well, there's going to be an out. But look what happens. While using Alvarado and using Kimbrell would probably eliminate them for tomorrow in some respects, as Rojas hits one fair pass first. It'll go down the line all the way to the corner. Rojas around first, headed for second. He's thinking about third. He is going to be, oh, he's going to be safe as the throw was offline. It's a good thing because they would have had him. But Marte's relay is wide of the bag. Rivera has to go get it. It's a triple for Johan Rojas with one out here in the seventh. Yeah, they probably would have had him. There, yeah. one, one thing that has been said all along, and, I, and I'm presuming Rojas was thinking this, is their outfielders can cover a lot of territory, but they can't throw. Right. And so maybe they're told, listen, if it's close, run on their outfield. That very well could be. Johan Rojas was fortunate we didn't have an Alec Bohm redo. Yeah. Very yeah, fortunate. Yeah, one inning later. But he gets the third, and you know what? A guy who, again, hadn't had a hit for what felt like a month had a triple. Yeah, and look, I understand the frustration with Rojas at the bottom of the order and not hitting. I get that. You need, a, you need him for his defense. You absolutely do for the ground that he can cover in center field. Secondly, if you have enough of the guys who you are counting on to hit, hit, Johan Rojas going one for 55 at the bottom of the order is irrelevant if – Nick Castellanos and Bryce Harper and JT Romuto, et cetera, et cetera, are doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I hear that. I, there are times when I'm thinking it might be time to change that. But, again, bookmark that. we got, okay. we got some hours to cover that. Uh, they intentionally walk Schwarber. Uh, Turner, what happens? He scores on a sack fly. Yeah. I mean, okay. Turner hit that ball well. Yeah. And the left fielder almost misplayed it into something worse than a sack fly. And so it's 5-2. to two. Feeling pretty good, aren't you, I'm Glenn? I'm thinking we're going to go to bed happy. Right, that's what you're thinking. Oh, not what happened. No, but I'm still, <laughs> I'm, I'm still looking at the Phillies bullpen with much trepidation, as you should. Bottom of the seventh starts with Sir Anthony, gets a pop out. Yeah, there we go. The era of good feelings continues. Eight outs to go, counting them down. <laughs> the era of good, feelings. <laughs> more like the half hour of good. Exactly. Feelings. In comes Gregory Soto. Yes, single, walk. Force out, men at second and third. Not a good job by Soto. He's out of there. Yes. In comes Orion Kirkering. Yeah. Orion. Orion. Yeah. Walks Gabe Moreno. Walks Christian Walker. Bases loaded. Oh, walks Christian Walker with the bases loaded. Yes. Big mistake by Rob Thompson not asking the umpiring crew to move home plate two feet to the left oh, so that Orion Kirkland yeah. could throw strikes. He seemed so f- afraid out there. Again, it's it's like their rookie pitcher. They just both seemed the moment was too big. Well, that ends. He's been out there more now 
there is a bit of a book yeah. beginning to develop on him. You know what? See, I, and I, I said this the night of. I, I didn't think they should have put him in the 10-0 game. Mm-hmm. Because when he came back the next day, he pitched the same batters they saw him. Yeah. All right. Again, we got time to cover that. And we're going to talk to a former Major League pitcher, and we'll talk to him about that. So the run comes in. It's 5-3. to three. They get out of the inning. Six outs to go. Two-run lead. Would be nice to add to the lead, but Who's you should gonna, be able to get six outs. Who's going to pitch the eighth? Mike Sealski? Well, <sighs> it's Craig Kimmel. It is. And every single person in the Delaware Valley is feeling bad about that at that moment. Everybody in the Delaware Valley is feeling fatalistic. I don't believe you if you say otherwise. No, I, I agree completely. And we could do this now with the numbers of how bad it was, or we can wait until... Save it. We'll just go through this. Yeah. We'll just go through this. Lourdes Gurriel smashes a double by Brandon Marsh. Yeah. And smash is the appropriate verb. Yeah, oh yeah. Longoria lines out on center field on the screws. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That would have been enough for me. If you have, if you have any other options in the bullpen... Got to go three batters. I know, I know. But as soon as that third batter has done whatever he's going to do, I'm I'm getting Kimberly. Well, guess there. what? The third batter happens to be Alec Thomas. Well, there you go. Uh, in pinch inning for Manuel Rivera. All right, folks. I'm just going to say this now. If you don't want to hear it, lower your radio for the next 15 seconds because we're going to play it right now. Three balls, two strikes to count on Alec Thomas. Kimbrel's ready. He kicks the pitch. Swing and a high drive, deep right field. Castellanos at the wall, out of room. It's gone. The game's tied as Thomas sends one into the pool in right center field. It's his third homer of the postseason. And it's 5-5 here in the bottom of the eighth. Guess what? We're not going to bed early tonight. Was was Garrett Stubbs in the pool when the ball landed in oh, it? Oh, we'll get to that, too. You're marking all this stuff, Oh, right? yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, the Garrett Stubbs fiasco. We'll get to that, too. Uh, and, and by the way, tremendous applause for Larry Anderson for his restraint on that. Because I'm, yeah. I'm trying to hear in the back Larry Anderson choking himself. <laughs> he uh, hit the cough. He just, you know, smashed down the cough button <laughs> right there, I think. All right. So it's five to five. And yeah. Kimbrell just blew it. No, uh, no, there's no other way to put it. He blew it. He blew it. And Rob Thompson, you could argue, blew it by putting him in that situation. Yep. But again, we'll get to that. Kimbrell gets a strikeout, a walk. Not even close on the walk. Then he nails uh, Corbin Carroll on the knee. Like the backside of the knee. Yes. Like threw it on the opposite side of his body. Jeez, he's got, he's so shot. Income. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Still fighting this cough. In comes Alvarado. Hello. Well, I'm thinking, please, just get us out of this jam. Yeah. Five to five. Give us another chance. Bottom of the eighth, five to five. Here you go. Three balls and a strike. Here's the pitch. Swung on, line towards left center field. Big trouble. It's a base hit. The Diamondbacks have the lead. Rojas plays it on a hop. Marte will score. Throw will go to second. Carroll's in at third base. It's a go-ahead single by Gabby Moreno as the Diamondbacks lead it 6-5. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, they send in their closer, Paul Seawald, in the bottom, in the top of the ninth. Excuse me, strikes out Marsh, strikes out Cave. Mm-hmm. Schwarber doubles. Hope alive. We got yep. hope. We got hope. Trey Turner is up. Who's a hotter hitter than Trey Turner? Right. 
Well, swing and a miss. And we are tied at two. And we are tied at two. And I got to tell you, to me, I believe that was the most painful loss I have sustained as a Philadelphia fan since the Super Bowl. Since the Eagles-Chiefs Super Bowl yeah. in the last year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there's not a close second. Yeah. There's not a close second. Maybe game six of the Sixers-Celtics series. Yeah. Maybe game six. Uh, if you're a Sixers fan, I know. Uh, well, no, I, I just I didn't expect anything. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but. But, yeah, no, there's I mean, not a close. Oh, just an awful, awful, painful, gut-wrenching loss. That said, I don't believe in momentum in baseball. I don't either. And these series can get weird. Look at what's going on in the American League. Neither team has won a game at home in that series. And they're brawling on the field, and things are crazy. And these kinds of things happen in baseball in a best-of-seven series. I feel like more so than in any other sport, where things just get kind of crazy and cockamamie. So just because things are bad for the Phillies now doesn't necessarily mean that Zach Wheeler isn't going to go out there and throw six innings of shutout ball, and Rob Thompson won't wise up and keep Craig Kimbrell on ice for the rest of the series. Oh, he has to. He has to. Uh, And that with a couple swings of the bat, the Phillies are back to hitting the ball 400 feet like they were in games one and two. Having said all that, you know, it's 2-2, and now it's a best of three. Yeah. And there's a very realistic, real possibility that you're going to come back to game six at Citizens Bank Park with the home team down three games to two. Well, you have the two best pitchers, the best pitcher of each team going tonight. Yep. Which is, I mean, kind of how you want it, I guess, but not really how I want it. No, no. <laughs> as, they, as a generic fan of the sport, it's like, that's great. As a Phillies fan, like, no, I don't want to see No, that. there's one thing that Phillies, Philadelphia sports fans don't do well in the moment, and that's drama. Nobody nobody steps takes the step back and says, man, this is amazing. Yeah, no, I just Nick Foles going against Tom Brady. It, yeah. it was amazing drama. No, 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 no. Just win the game, right, please. Right, And so it's Gallon against Wheeler, and you're going to need a great performance by Wheeler. You can get it. I, I, I'm optimistic he could do it. Yeah. But that's what you're going to need. And then you got Nola uh, in game six coming back here against uh, uh, Kelly. Mm-hmm. And then you got Game Seven, so you got to win two of the three. Game Seven with Ranger, and I like Ranger better than whatever they choose to throw out as the third starters. But you got to win two out of three. You got to win, and it's, yeah. That's a lot more challenging now than it was. You got to win two out of three, and you got to hope that Wheeler and Nola, who have been so good in this postseason, don't have a hiccup. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing, and right. it's. You know, good you, Nola. You're right. You and I talk all the time about the next Aaron Nola game and, and is he going to establish himself and validate the contract and all of that stuff and put people's concerns about him to bed. Well, there's another game like that approaching, and he's answered every bell in this postseason, and he's going to have to do it again because either it's going to be for the right to go to the World Series or to save the Philly season. Was it two weeks ago I told you Nola was pitching? I said legacy game for Nola. Yeah, that yeah. was two weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> by the way, I meant this week. Okay. That's the one. <laughs> two on five, five nine two ninety four ninety four. By the way, coming up at 11 o'clock, we're going to talk to Eric Kratz, uh, terrific backup catcher for the Phillies, and get his take on all of it, including a kerfuffle that involves a Phillies backup catcher now. And at uh, noon, we're going to talk to old pal Jamie Moyer because there's we can talk about a, a young pitcher who seems afraid of the moment and an old pitcher who seems washed up.
Yep. And everybody in between. Yeah, Jamie can run the gamut. Yeah, absolutely. He's been all of those things. So, <laughs> yes. so we'll talk Never to breaking him. 80 miles an hour throughout all of it. And take your calls at 215-592-9494. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, Rob Thompson kind of stating the obvious there, but it's what we talked about. Hey, look, that's as angry and furious publicly as Rob Thompson is going to get. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, he does every post-game press conference as if he's in the New York Public Library or something. So take it for what it's worth. That's about as ferocious as Tomer is going to get in the aftermath of a loss like that. Yeah, I agree. Let's get to Marty. Uh, Marty, what's on your mind today? Hey, guys. Well, first, thanks for having the uh, therapy session for everybody. This, this is why we're here, Marty. Just think of we the really studio as a, as a giant, long, black couch. Thank you. Thank you. Let me know what I owe you at the end. <laughs> but uh, So I'll state the obvious, too. So, you know, clearly where Thompson can be second-guessed is does he take Kimbrough out? And I, I would have um, right after the uh, – there's the double and then there's the next hit. Yeah, but he can. He's got to leave him in for three hitters. Oh, right, 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 right. The three-hitter yeah. rule, which is stupid, and they should eliminate that now that the pitch clock has sped up the game. Well, I think, I think they matter. should just take it out just for Craig Kimbrell. Like, you, you, just, he, yeah. you get a special dispensation. You can take him out that, whenever you want to. That is true. And I was texting my buddies that he's got to get through three hitters. So the damage was done after mm-hmm. the third hitter. So you're right. Um, but, you know, a friend of mine made a point – two nights ago saying that he thinks that Thompson should be managing this, these like elimination games. And, and I think he's right. And you know, there, listen, there aren't too many options. He has, he is one reliable right-handed reliever at this point. 
Yeah. And so I, I don't envy his situation. Who, by the way, who, by today, the way, he yeah. won't use late. Well, he might change that, but you know what? What they've got to figure out today—it's basically all right-handed pitchers. On, you know, they got to be on standby. Lawrenson, Walker—they've all got to be ready to go. Well, that's a good, and thank you because yeah. I appreciate it. good call. And you and I talked about that before the show. We did. I I don't know what Michael Lorenzen and Taiwan Walker have done to be completely persona non grata in the postseason. Now look. I get the Taiwan Walker apparently threw a bad bullpen session the other day, and he's not a flamethrower. He's not the kind of guy who you're going to bring in to strike hitters out. I get that. But you brought Michael Lorenzen here in part because of his versatility, because in part because he could both start games and he had a ton of experience in relief. Mm-hmm. And he was the kind of guy who you might be able to use for two innings at a time. And, Glenn, we kind of hinted at it in the last segment if you're going to take Christopher Sanchez out as early as Thompson did, why not go to Lorenzen right there? Right. That's what, and, and save Hoffman. Exactly. And here's the other thing, too, Glenn, and this applies to all the other pitchers that we've seen, and, and, and again, it, it goes back to something we just said. I think it particularly applies to Orion Kettering. If you start to build a book on these guys, or if hitters start to see the same arms over and over again, they're going to feel a little more comfortable against those pitchers. I think that's what happened with Kettering last night, apart from just the nerves and his inability to throw strikes. But the Diamondback hitters weren't chasing that slider that hitters were chasing when Kettering first came up. Nobody's seen Lorenzen or Walker in the postseason yet. There's got to be I like think a— Lorenzen pitched one inning, but yeah. yeah like it. a tiny that's element it. of surprise, just yep. unfamiliarity. I, I mean, agree. look, And your point about his versatility is, is spot on. Yeah. He's pitched in relief. He can do this. He can do this. He pitched a no-hitter. Like, he was not great after he pitched a no-hitter, but this is why you got him. Lorenzen in the th- third, whatever, fourth inning. Hoffman in the seventh, eighth. Mm-hmm. As opposed to Hoffman in the third. Kimbrell in the eighth. Yeah. That doesn't seem to be a tough decision. I, I would be willing to bet we're going to see either Walker or Lorenzen. It, well, you're going to have to because he's have pitched. To tonight. You know, Alvarado pitched two days in a row. A lot yep. of these guys now pitch two days in a row, including Kimbrell. We won't see Kimball tonight. I'd bet that. Oh, I, I would, too. You give me six to one. I'll still take that. <laughs> All right, 215-592-9494. Your call's coming up. Eric Kratz, top of the hour. Looking forward to that. It's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafting windows and doors before another long, cold winter season rolls in. And the great people at Guided Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. So you buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. You buy a patio door, get 50% off a window. Need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free. No obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. 
Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack. Now let's talk to the people. They're obsessed. Let's, They're let's, frustrated. Let's do one thing first. I what need to got? apologize. I had the hospital on my mind. I kept referring to the relief pitcher as Orion Kettering. It is, of course, Orion oh, Kirkering. Kirkering. Yeah. Yes. So I apologize. Okay. Brain fart. We do these things. Jackson is with us. Hey, Jackson. Hey guys, I just wanted to talk about the Alec Bohm play where he did not. I don't. What did he do after he got to first base? Because like, if you look at the replay, it looks like he was like well above first base and then ran to second. Like, if he would have, you know, pretended like he was Ricky Henderson and actually like rounded first base, seeing the play behind him, he would have been on second easily. Like, it wasn't a decision of he had to like, okay, am I going to be out? Like, I, if you look at that replay. He could have been standing on second. He was like, he like ran it. Yeah, out. saying he ran up the baseline. I honestly, yeah, like, I was I mean, focused on on. The play yeah, the play. I, I haven't seen a replay of it, Jackson, to know what Bohm did, uh, did whether he, he ran through the bag or made the turn. Right. I mean, if you look at the replay, he, he ran through the bag and then he was way above the bag. Because if you know how you round second, you're on, you're like rounding or rounding yeah, first. Yeah, sure, you're, sure. You're, you're, you're sprinting your like second. The, you're, you're on the way to second. If he was, if he would have done that. He would have been on second, no outs, and that would have—I think—that would have changed the game a little bit because no outs, you're pitch, pitching to who's up next. Stott, I mean, he's been awful. Lately, yeah, well, but no, you're right. But him getting—and thanks—him getting caught there on that play was just a base-running bonehead blunder. Right, and if he had again, I didn't see the replay. I don't know what move Bohm made after he hit first base. But if he's run through the bag. Don't make the turn. Just stay there at first base because you cannot afford to make an out there. Absolutely. Charles. Hey, Charles. Hey, how's it going? All right. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to – guy just said uh, Bob's base running mistake, and you guys said you didn't really know exactly what happened. Um, I was going to talk about that, but um, also Kirkering. Yeah. Yes. Why isn't he throwing the fastball? He's got a great fastball. Yes, you're right. He's a, he, he seemed afraid to throw the fastball yesterday and just kept not hitting the plate, and you're not going to be able to get by just on that pitch, particularly when it's not getting over for a strike. Absolutely agree with you. He seemed afraid. Yeah, I mean, he's got a great fastball. He's got a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. Throw the fastball. Like, what's going on? Yep. Right? And what's JT doing? Is JT calling the, calling the pitches or what? Well, I think some of it is going to be based on what does Kirkering want to throw in that situation. And if you're a young kid – in that kind of environment for the first time, you're going to go, you're going to be more inclined to go with what's comfortable to you. And look, should he throw the fastball more? He probably should throw the fastball more. You're right. He has a terrific one, but he didn't. And that gets back again, Glenn, to what we were saying. People are starting to get a book on Kirkering at least a little bit, and they know that slider is coming, and they know it's probably not going to be in the strike zone. So sit on it, let it, let it pass through out of the zone like the Diamondbacks did last night, and take your walks. Yeah. Joe is with us. Hey, Joe. Hey, guys. How you doing? All right. Good. Okay. So frustrating. Mm-hmm. Listen, I, I kind of got worried when 
and I'm, I'm I'm not blaming people, but I got to blame Thompson or the coaching staff on uh, when Schwarber stole a base because you know he's the second slowest runner on the team. Mm-hmm. Why would they send him to steal second when you got Turner sitting there and Bryce on deck? Do you guys remember that situation? Yeah, vaguely. He did. Uh, you're right. He did try to steal second base with Turner up. I guess. Well, well, why would you do that? I mean, I just don't understand. I mean, everybody knows, you know, Kyle's a great player. I'm not ripping him. No, he's not I mean, a base maybe... runner, though. You're yeah. you're right. Yeah. He's not he's not a base runner. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. But, I didn't I didn't see I haven't seen what Thompson if Thompson was even asked about that after the no, game he wasn't. or not. That that was that kind of stuck with me all night, and that was you know it's just a frustrating game. I just hope they get back with it. You know, it's just it's it's really exciting though for the fans. You know, yeah, I could have I could have dealt without that last night. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I look, know, but it, it, it's still making baseball. People are watching. Yeah, you know what I mean? I, no, I understand you. It's it's a good series if you're if you are an outside observer looking for mm-hmm. interesting, fun baseball. It certainly is that. Yeah, no, it takes me back to honestly, uh, as somebody who was, I guess you could say, driven away from the sport for a while. It reminds me of like the Braves Twins World Series from a long time ago, or those series that the Braves would have with the Pirates in mm-hmm. the early '90s when when baseball I thought was was really really great uh yeah if you can take a step back and appreciate the excitement that's wonderful I like i said earlier yeah, yeah. nobody around here I wants to take I that step back i cannot i i don't care if people are watching this in minnesota even right. a, even a tiny bit uh alex speaking of tv ratings i guess they went down when you were watching it eh yeah yeah how you guys doing uh, right. we're good thanks. alex thanks for having me on the couch sure um so, nice listening to everybody. I live in Chicago, born and bred in Philly, South Philly, in the shadows of Vet and the Spectrum. So, yeah, I, I, I was texting with all my friends. You know, we text during the games, blah, blah, blah. And when we thought they were going to put Kimberl in to close, maybe put Alvarez before him. And as soon as they put Kimberl in, I said, I'm sorry, guys, I'm done. And I, I first time, I never, I, I watch every pitch of every game. And I turned the freaking TV off, really? and I got disgusted. Wow. Did I you? Swear, listen, I am not kidding. Really? I have like proof sneak, of my phone. Like, just sneak a look on the phone just to check. No. no oh, you know what? I'm lying. I, uh, my wife wound up turning on the TV, and it was just standing 6'5", and I just I, – I almost I, – we almost got it. I said, please turn the TV off. Oh. And I just <laughs> – listen, listen, I, I, I'm 55 years old. I, I went to more baseball games than most people because my uncle was a cop down on Broad and Patterson, so – I grew up in South Philly. I can go. I went to so many Eagles, Sixers, Flyers games. So anyway, I'm going to lighten it up. Let's have fun tonight, guys. I love everybody in Philly. Miss everybody. I'll be back uh, in a couple weeks. Hopefully they're hopefully, hopefully they're not playing right? on November second. Well, you know what? I, I I'm in on the second of November, so we'll see what happens. I you know I don't know. There you go. But um, well, but I love you guys. Listen, thank you. Let's and a real quick thing that you guys had mentioned about Bohm. Making that, you know, he, he's running as if he's going to get thrown out, right? Right. He's, he's probably running. not making the turn. So what I, what I think happened, you guys can look at the play. I think the first base coach said to him, go. And he kind of, because you know how he is. He's not, he's not, the, he's a little bit cumbersome, you know? And he kind of like, he went to make this jerk and then he, then he started running. It's, it's, it's certainly, I, it's certainly possible, Alex. It's possible. I, I don't know that to be true. I wouldn't want to put that on the first base coach. I don't know how that came out, but it came out poorly. That we know. 215-592-9494. Coming back, we're going to check in with our pal Alec Bone. By the way, one quick thing I want to tell you 
that on November 7th, my pal Ray Didinger and I are going to be doing a sports movie night at the Players Club of Swarthmore. That's Tuesday, November 7th. We're going to show clips of the greatest sports movies of all time, talk about them, engage the crowd. Ray and I back together for one night. Really looking forward to it. Uh, I was looking at tickets. There's about 75 seats left. So if you want to go, get your tickets soon. PCSTheater.org. PCSTheater.org if you want to go to Sports Movie Night with Ray and Glenn. All right, coming up, we speak with Eric Kratz next right here on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now 94 WIP. Eric Kratz was the Phillies' primary backup catcher in 2012-2013. 11 years in the major leagues, nine teams. By the way, always, at least once or twice I use a week, I use him in Immaculate Grid. Do you really? Oh, yeah, because he's, he's, he's always played for everybody. He's, he's the subject slash co-author of a terrific new book. It is the Tau of the Backup Catcher that he wrote with Tim Brown. It really was one of my favorite reads of the summer, and he is nice enough to join us now. How are you, Eric? I am awesome. Good. I hope everybody in Philly is doing good, too. Well, not so much today. Yeah, you know how it is, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I do know how it is. But you know what? I always tell – I told my, te- my team, the team that I coach in high school, the Docs Mennonite Academy, I said, look, you guys need to want to win. I've lost tons of games. I'm totally fine. I can handle losses because I know how great it is to win. So that kind of leads into my first question, which is – in the major leagues, as a major leaguer, how much is momentum a thing or not a thing? Because, you know, everybody thought, ah, oh, the Phillies won the first two, the, the, the Diamondbacks are dead, going to sweep them right away, and now that Arizona's won two, it's like, oh, my God, the Phillies lost their mojo, they're never going to get it back. Is there anything to that, or is that just a canard? Well, I mean, you can't just look at momentum in the moment. You have to look at momentum at – all times. So the Phillies had crazy momentum coming into Arizona, right? They, they had the lead. They had the lead. Well, how did Arizona? How did Arizona come back and win if the if the Phillies had all this crazy like momentum? Oh my gosh! I think momentum is nothing other than something for the media to talk about and write about. So if that's the case, take us into the minds of the Phillies players in particular, heading into game five. You've got Zach Wheeler on the mound. You have to be feeling pretty good about that, but you're reeling. You have to be reeling, I think, a little bit, or does that not play into their thinking at all? Right now, no. Maybe in the seventh, eighth inning when, you know, it's time to get into the same situation they've been in the last two nights, there will be guys that are thinking that way. But you know the guys that are thinking that way? It's the guys that are on the bench that have no way of controlling the game. Mm-hmm. I promise you, Craig Kimbrell is not going to go out there tonight. Period. No, no, no. Bench. Stop, stop. He's not going to go out there tonight. Period, Eric. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> but when he goes out there and gives you the 10 pitches and the fans, the reason fans are anxious is because they're not the ones in control. There's never one pitch where a pitcher – now, obviously, people will say, well, the whole yips thing is a thing, and I get that. I've never experienced that. But there's not one time where a pitcher goes out there, a hitter goes out there and is like, in this moment, I am not going to succeed. I am not going to do well. Even after you chunk a fastball to the backstop, Craig Kimball's like, oh, well, this next one's going to be a strike. I know that because I've done it a million times in my career. And so that's the mindset. And so the guys who are, yes, you're feeling that angst 
as fans, you are feeling that you're angry today, the what could have been. But you have, if you want to talk about momentum, you have Zach Wheeler on the mound. You have an offense that, to me, started to show they could come alive. You have a defense that doesn't make a lot of errors and made some errors, bonehead plays, base running plays. As Charlie Manuel would say if he was on the phone with us right now, water levels out. The better team will figure it out. And that's the beauty of that's the beauty of this game. Yeah. So when the game ends, a game like that, uh, which yep. as we said, the fans wake up this morning, they're cranky. We've been talking to them for the last hour. They're 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 fairly despondent. When you are a player, you train yourself to okay, that ended. We play tomorrow, eight oh seven. It's it's in the past. It is. It, is. it really it's in is. The past. Yeah. And it's really, you, you know, it's hard to explain other than the fact that when I quit playing, I realized how much I was always just on to the next, mm. on to the next. And I never was able to sit back and revel in the, in the good. Mm. Now that also means I didn't, I didn't sulk in the bed, but it means, you know, I didn't revel in the good when, when we had it, but that's how you have to, that's how you have to be. I, I remember losing game six in 2017 in Houston on the Yankees. Now I didn't play in the game, but I was sitting there and it was like, Oh man, I can't believe we just lost that game. That is tough. And I remember the next day, like we had our stuff packed for LA cause the Dodgers had already won. We were going to go play the Dodgers. We were making plans to go play the Dodgers. You just you have to think that way. If you don't, the game will eat you alive. It's like golfing. If you miss one putt, you stand over the next putt, and you're shaking because all you're thinking about is missing the last putt, it won't work out. Yeah. We're talking to Eric Kratz, former Phillies backup catcher, longtime catcher in Major League Baseball. And, Eric, I want to draw on that experience for this question. Put me in – the role and mindset of a catcher who's got to shepherd a young pitcher through a big moment. We saw this with Orion Kettering last night. He was struggling to throw a strike. Kirkering. I keep saying Kettering. Darn. It's <laughs> Kirkering. Um, put us there. How, how much can a catcher help a young pish, pitcher in a pressure, pressure situation? Yes, I can speak English. So much. And, and a lot of that is, is non – you know, is more visual cues. You're not going up to him and be like, Orion, oh, you're a great person. You can do this. I believe in you. <laughs> no, it's like it's it's the mindset. It's the it's the visual cues that he's getting from you. If he puts down the fingers or or hits the button and gives you kind of like that, oh, like I hope you get this. Then you hope you make this pitch. Then you're gonna you're gonna feed off that as a young pitcher. But if you're back there and you just chunk two balls, you know, two really close sliders that just missed the edge, you're sitting there going, okay, well, you know, I, I can make this pitch. If you look in there and you see JT, like, you know, give you the old glove point at you, like, hey, great pitch. Like, that's exactly where we wanted it, just off the zone. You got this kind of thing. And you feed off of that. You feed off of that because he's done it. Yes, he has zero experience in the big leagues. He has, like, almost next to nothing experience. But you know what? He's thrown thousands of pitches in his minor league 
career this year, in his college career, and he's going to draw on those as success. And that's why Topper is such a great manager. That's why JT is such a great catcher, is all that stuff has been done. All those talks have been done before this situation. And I know people are going to get on Topper for bringing him in after the night before. It didn't work out. Topper was playing with a little house money there. They had they had the situation where they could bring him in. They had a good lead. Obviously, they didn't want Soto to get the first two guys on. It would have been great if, if Kirkering, I think Topper's plan was to bring Kirkering in for like a one a one batter situation. Well, it didn't work out. They still had the lead when he was done, though. Yeah, they did. Um, but they didn't at, at uh, after the eighth inning after Kimbrel pitched, <laughs> who just seems shot. Uh, and I don't know what you do if you are Topper, if you are the Phillies. What advice would you give them to kind of get to that back, or to what? What would you do at the back end of the bullpen? Um, the back end of the bullpen needs to continue to look. You need to, and I don't think Topper looks at it this way. You can't look at the bullpen as front end, back end, first out, last in all that stuff. You have to look at it as where in the lineup does Kimbrell get the most outs? Is he a guy that can get the top three guys, the top three guys in the order out? To me, I think with this lineup, I think Hoffman is a guy that gets, gets your, gets your Carroll and Cattell Marte out. Mm -hmm. So to me, you bring Hoffman in, with the nine batter up, and then you go nine one two. He's able to. I just don't. I don't like the matchup of Alvarado versus Carroll because Corbin Carroll does a really good job of staying on sliders, and he's not. I get the lefty lefty matchup, mm-hmm. but it's more of stuff matchup. So, yeah. for specifically for Kimbrel, I think I think it's an easy decision tonight. I think he's not in there. Right. Um, but I think you keep going to him. Look. This team doesn't want to win the National League Championship. This team wants to win the World Series. And I promise you, it doesn't happen without Craig Kimbrell getting you big out oh, in the next round. Oh, a lot sorry, of angst on that fans. one. Much, a lot of angst on that does one. Does the word agita mean anything to you, Eric? Does the word what? Agita mean anything to you. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, I promise. If you had Craig Kimbrell's stuff, even, even today, not just 100 miles an hour back in the day, Craig Kimbrell, 95 to 96, you would, just like they do when they get hits, feel like you have some big ones and you're going to go out there and you're going to get the next out. He is not. Only Philly fans are going to be booing him. He's not booing himself when he's coming out there. Um, you spent a, a, a career as a backup catcher. As we said, you wrote the book about it, The Tao of the Backup Catcher. I read it this summer. It was terrific. Um, and so much of it that you wrote about involves how a backup catcher, because he's not playing more than however many games a year, maybe 50, if he's lucky, he's got to find ways to contribute to the club. And part of that is by being the guy who's really good in the clubhouse. And we've had that all season with the Phillies with Garrett Stubbs last year and this year. And he's a fun guy and a popular guy, and he's the DJ in there, and he leads the the parties. But he did something um, before the last game, which seemed to backfire, which is he made a statement that we win, we're going to swim in their pool 
uh, in their stadium. And after the game, I want to play this for you, Eric Kratz. Tori Lavulo spoke to that. Here's what he said. So we just went through that uh, to the Phillies' benefit against Atlanta when a guy goes at a boy, Bryce, and and the Phillies use that as motivation. Can we agree this was probably not something that Garrett Stubbs should have done? Probably, probably. Did it cause did it cause the Phillies' base running blunders? Did it cause the Diamondbacks to come out with so much fire that they got four hits to win a two-one game? Did it cause this team to essentially be outplayed and still win two games? I would disagree with that. But should he have said it? No, he shouldn't have said it. It didn't cause the the Diamondbacks to Alex Thomas to come off the bench and hit a homer off of Craig Kimbrell. Believe me, I've pinch hit off of Craig Kimbrell. You don't need Garrett Stubbs to – pump you up to hit off of Craig Kimbrell. And my, my, my pinch of that bats weren't even in the playoffs again. Yeah. Eric, how does a – this is going to sound like a very basic and elementary question, but I kind of want you to, to deal with it anyway. How does a playoff game and playoff series, from a player's standpoint, differ from the regular season? I know, you know, you've referenced before – uh, when a catcher is trying to speak to a young pitcher, you're drawing on previous experience – uh, but these are the games that matter most. They're, they just do. So, from a player standpoint, how different is it? It is. It's different in the way you feel, and the way I say, it, the way I explain that is, you sit there and you go, okay. If you've ever pinch hit before, playoffs are going to feel like pinch hitting the whole time, and all that is, is adrenaline. It's just adrenaline coursing through your veins. And some people look at it and go, holy crap, I have no chance of getting a hit here because of I can't slow it down. And for me, I was fortunate. I was told early on when pinch hitting, don't try to slow it down. Do everything that you normally do and use that as a superpower. So you are in the playoffs and you get a superpower, no matter what it is. You see it in NOLA. How many times do you see NOLA hit 96? In the playoffs, you see it a lot more. You know, yeah. I think he hit 96 when he faced – or he hit 97 when he faced Austin, his brother. Mm-hmm. Like, so, that's that's adrenaline. That's something that you can't – people are like, well, why don't you play like that all the time? You just can't. You can't physically create it. The environment creates it. It's why Citizens Bank, being as ruckus as it is – is such an advantage for the home team because you're getting that adrenaline, you're getting that energy, and they feed off of it. And they, they, they improve from it. And the ball travels farther, and they throw the ball harder. If you throw a slider like Kirkering, it's that much sharper. Like, it's a superpower, and it's a real thing. So that's the difference between playoffs and the regular season. By the way, Eric Kratz played in nine playoff games for the Brewers in 2018 and hit a lusty 292. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, he knows what he's talking about. Last one for me, which is I am really impressed with this catcher on Arizona. I, you know, I don't get to see them really during the season. Uh, this Gabriel Moreno, uh, other than when the ball got stuck under his chest protector, 
23-year-old kid they get from Toronto in the offseason for Dalton Varsho, and he looks like he's going to be a star. You uh, you like him as a catcher? I concur. Yeah. I really like him. I liked him when he was in the minor leagues. Obviously, I, I, I check out catchers more than I check out outfielders in the minor leagues, but this guy has been – and one of my good friends is the manager of the Blue Jays, John Schneider, and he – he was my first roommate in pro ball. The way he talked about him made me want to go and look at him. There, he was like, "This guy is a star." But the Blue Jays already had two really good catchers, yeah. and they're to, to trade for a 23-year-old starting catcher. In my opinion, all-star type of catcher. That's a big pickup, and I really like Dalton Marshall. I think Dalton Marshall's value super high because of the way he plays and I really like his dad too. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, last one from me, Eric. How do you see the rest of the series playing out? Are we talking Phillies and six? Are we talking the Diamondbacks have changed the entire tenor of the thing? What do you think? No, the Diamondbacks have not changed the entire tenor. They have done an awesome job. They have done the max that they can do. To me, the most positive thing about this entire trip to Arizona is the fact that the Phillies now have three ace pitchers that can go out there. You have three guys that you need to beat. They still have the advantage here. Yes, I get it, Zach Allen's going to pitch. Yes, I get it, Merrill Kelly's going to pitch. And Fought has been throwing really well. I see the Phillies taking this in six, and it'll be nice to celebrate it in Philly. Very much and so. This adversity, and this adversity will help in the next round. That's a good pep talk to close. That was pretty good. That was pretty that good. That was a nice counter to the general tenor of the show so far. Eric Kratz, listen, it is always a pleasure to catch up with you. Always nice to speak with you. And uh, people should buy that book, The Tower with the Backup Catcher, Eric Kratz and Tim Brown. Really a, a terrific read. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Give me a call. All right, I love thank talking. You. Thanks, you, Eric. There you go, Eric Kratz. Really good guy. Really good guy. Really good book. The, the yeah. book is terrific. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It, it covers so many angles of that very particular job in sports that's unlike almost any other job. Yeah, it's one of those positions that draws really intelligent athletes to it. It's like the offensive line in the NFL. Mm -hmm. The backup catcher is very similar in that regard. They're the guys you go to for the true insight, uh, and the book is awesome in that regard. So what do you think? He, I thought, kind of minimized the Stubbs thing. Um and I can't minimize what Stubbs did. He said something. I don't have his exact quote. We don't have tape. Do we have sound at Stubbs saying it? We don't. Okay. But if you have the quote, Ben, let me know. But it was something like, you know, we plan. We can't wait to make a beeline to their swimming pool when right. somebody hits a home run. Something like that. Yes. Correct? Yes. Okay. The Arcia thing in the last round when he's in the clubhouse and goes, attaboy, Bryce, attaboy, mm -hmm. right, which becomes – a whole plot line. It and does. by the way, one of the best photographs of years mm -hmm. of Harper rounding second and staring him down. Yes. Right? We made a big deal of that. The Phillies clearly they made a big deal did. of that. Okay. So when Stubbs does something similar, and by the way, he's the backup catcher. Yeah. You know, your job isn't to set the world on fire like that. You have it? Okay, hold on. Here we yes. go. What do you got? Uh, the quote is, I've seen that pool before, so I know exactly where it is. If we take two here in Arizona, we'll be beelining for the water. Okay. 
in a, on a certain level, it's innocuous. Yes. On another level, it's like you have no reason to create any bulletin board material. We know bulletin board material exists in sports. We've seen it all the time. Yes. I think it's one of the bigger misnomers that I hear and see in sports media where people in positions of mind say this kind of stuff doesn't matter to athletes. I think it absolutely always does matter to athletes. These guys are uber, uber competitive. They are looking for any reason to find a villain or a competitor to get fired up against. The, the whole documentary. Michael the, Jordan right. fabricates and stuff. So he, so he said that, and so I took offense to that. Right. Like, and, what and did he say? The guy didn't say anything. Right. right. So the idea that just because the Diamondbacks only got four hits in game three, and that goes to show that what Garrett Stubbs said doesn't matter, to me is false. It, it sharpens them. It's, it's, the analogy I would draw is if I'm competing, if I'm in the press box and the number one competition, the other media sports columnist in town is somebody who I don't like, mm-hmm. I go into every game wanting to write a better column than that person. Especially if you overhear him say, like, I can't wait to dunk this one on sales. Exactly. Exactly. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to write a great piece, but it does mean that I'm going to be much more motivated to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, I do think this stuff matters. Yeah. And it, 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 there's nothing, no good comes of it. Right. I love Garrett Stubbs. I love him. He's like the team mascot, right? He's a little guy, mm-hmm. and he's fun, and he's funny, and he wears the – I think he's the one who got him started on the overalls thing. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's like he's great to have around. He's, he's almost like a mascot in a way. Yeah. But this one – Yeah. And look – you can. It's one thing for a coach or a manager to try to take something and artificially turn it into motivation for his players. That suggests desperation. This sounds like these guys read this and said, "Okay, well, enough of this," and and you know we got to redouble our efforts. And again, maybe it doesn't necessarily lead to great performance, but it doesn't help the Phillies in any regard. No benefit comes from it. Two on five, five nine two ninety four ninety four. We have a ton of calls. Really good calls. In the first hour, people had a lot to say watching that game last night. We emptied them out, so you can call us now. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. All right. What we're watching, sponsored by Guide a Door and Window. Buy a window or door. Get a second and a half off. With 18 months interest-free financing, call Guide a Door and Window at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at com. So I'm watching baseball. Same in football. Yeah, I, I didn't watch anything else this week. No, I, I I had a busy week of work. All I watched when I wasn't writing stuff yeah. was the baseball playoffs in the NFL. Yeah, that's that's kind of all I watched. But it gives us the opportunity maybe to talk about this a little bit because one of the interesting undercurrents from fans who are used to seeing their team called by their broadcasters. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a Philadelphia thing. I know it's not just a Philadelphia thing because I've seen it in other cities. National guys don't like us. Yeah, gosh, you're hearing a lot of that with respect to Brian Anderson, who we had on the show two weeks ago and was excellent. Ron Darling and Jeff Francoeur calling these games for Turner's Mets guy. Yeah. Francoeur is a Braves guy. Look, you can debate the quality of their ability to call and analyze the games. I like Brian Anderson a lot. I find him very easy to take, which more and more is what I'm looking for, honestly, in a play-by-play announcer. I don't need him to be the star of the show. Yeah. I just need him to meet the measure of an exciting moment, and I feel like Anderson does that. 
Now, I know both Ron Darling and Jeff Francoeur a little bit. I like both of them personally. I like Darling more than most people seem to like Ron Darling as a national analyst. Now, I really, really, really like him as a Mets analyst. If you get to watch— Well, that's, I think, part of people's point here. Yeah, was if you get to watch him analyze games for SNY up in New York, he's as critical of the Mets as a hometown announcer and analyst can be. But I don't think he's bad nationally, and I'm kind of puzzled by people who say, you know, he stinks. It's not that he stinks. It's that he's against us, which is because, and I've had this conversation on the radio for 30 years, I swear to God. We're used to our guys. Yeah. We're used to Merrill calling the football games. Sure. So when it's a national guy who's not, by the way, Merrill will tell you when the Eagles stink. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we know, and Merrill has said this. We've talked to Merrill about this. In his heart, he's an Eagles fan, but he will call it as he honestly sees it. Right. But his level of excitement when the Eagles do something well is Off contagious. Off the Yes. You don't get that from the national guys. They don't see it that way. And so when they call it down the middle, we think they're against us. Um, and I think with Darling, it's like, again, he was with the Mets. And I know Frank Corr was here briefly, but he's really known as brave. And so people feel that way. My bottom line is this. I think uh, Anderson is fine. I think you like him better than I like him. I don't dislike him. I think he's, he's fine. Uh, I think Darling is very good. Maybe a tiny bit chatty, but good. Frank Cor doesn't add a lot, as far as I can see. The weak link in that group is their, uh, the guy Weiner. What's his first name? Matt. Weiner. Matt Weiner, who is unable to ask a question that doesn't begin with a four-sentence statement. Yeah, and he got kind of shown up, and I don't yeah. blame him. Yes. I, I don't blame the guy who did the showing up by Nick Castellanos, yes. who, where he interviewed him after one of the Braves games, I think, and Castellanos said, are you going to ask me a question? Which is one of the basic rules is there a question of, in there? Yeah, of interviewing anyone, whether you're interviewing a pro athlete, a politician, a man on the street. You ask a question. You don't just make a statement and then point the microphone at the guy's mouth as if he's supposed to just... Uh, Know what to say. Oh, okay. Hold on. Here, here is that moment. As yeah. a matter of fact, I love it. That's that's a, that's that's great. That's it. That's great. It, it, and and that's how he does every interview. By the way, I got I missed that song. Oh yeah, I really. Yeah. I will come home, guys. Just come. <laughs> let's come home and end this because I well, love those. Here's the thing, though, Glenn. Here's the thing, and I don't mean to be Debbie Downer here. I, I. This is purely out of curiosity. Purely out of curiosity. I mean it. If, if, the Diamondbacks win tonight, I know. I know. I am curious to see what the environment at Citizens Bank Park is like. Very tense. Six. Very tense. Until you, something has to happen. Yeah. Feel like you get a lead, it's all back. Yeah. It's, it's all back. You know, it's like going in, it's like very tense. Kind of nervous, like, we're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're okay. Yeah. Everybody cheer. It's going to be kind of that. But once the Phillies do something worthwhile, the fans will. I, right I'll, there, I'll say this. I'll draw an analogy, and it actually involves the Diamondbacks to kind of, <clears throat> if you want, are looking for a reason to keep your spirits up. Go back to the 2001 World Series, and I know it's a long time ago. The Diamondbacks played the Yankees. Mm-hmm. They got off to a two games to none lead. They won the first two games at home. And then they lost the next three games in Yankee Stadium. Each loss more excruciating than the next one. That was the one where um, 
Young Young Kim kept giving up home runs late in games. Oh, wow. To, yeah, to tie the game and win the game. Young Young, young Kimbrell? <laughs> well played. Well played. That's That should go viral. Yeah. That should absolutely go viral. But my point is, the Yankees take a lead in that series. They go back to Arizona, and the Diamondbacks destroy them in Game 6, win Game 7. I think it goes to Eric Kratz's point about the nature of momentum in a playoff series. Does it really yeah. exist? Because it, it, everything was going the Yankees' way, and they still managed to lose the it series. It exists until uh, Zach Wheeler stops it. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Vinny is with us, and Vinny wants to talk about pitching. What do you think, Vin? Oh, oh man, I love that being young Kimbrell. That's a, <laughs> I almost <laughs> forgot about that guy. That yeah. was great. Yeah. Now, my, my question, and I just don't see, how do you have faith in the guy after he's blown two games for you? I mean, the difference in that game last night was he couldn't hold a two-run lead, and their guy could. Yeah. Now, they're both throwing 92-mile-an-hour fastballs out there. And like you're talking about with Arizona there, I don't think that guy pitched the rest of the series. I don't think he was in there in game six or seven. So let me ask you and let me ask Mike. One of the big things about Rob Thompson is he does not want to show panic or lack of confidence, which is why Alec Boehm's still batting fourth Mm -hmm. after he really Mm -hmm. hasn't, you know, hit well, which is why he's not going to make a change with Johan Rojas. You know, he got a triple last night, but he was like one for 30. He's not going to do that. Is he? Tell me, please, Mike Sielski mm-hmm. and Vinny going to say, all right, I just I cannot put Kimbrell out in those situations. Is he going to do it? I think he has to, and here's why. My colleague Dave Murphy at the Inquirer had a terrific column this morning, and one of the things he pointed out was that Kimbrell threw 13 fastballs last night. 13. Only four of them were at least 95 miles an hour. That's why Craig Kimbrell is supposed to be a closer, is that he throws hard. If, a th- if only a third of his fastballs are topping out at 95, that suggests to me that he's not going to blow hitters away, that what we saw last night is much more likely to happen. Yes, but, Vinny, you heard what Mike said. Is Rob Thompson going to get that? I think Rob is going to do that. I think he's got too many arms in the bullpen to not do something like that. If he didn't have anybody else to go to or if they weren't throwing well, I think he might stick with them. But he's got too many good options in that bullpen to just put that guy out there again and lose it. Okay. I appreciate that. I don't know if he's got great options in the bullpen, but he has better options. I think that. He certainly has more options. I would, again, and this is it's a different situation going into game five and six because you're presuming – that Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola are going to get you through at least five innings. That's the hope. Hello. Right, right. Six, seven. I, I get it. I get it. But Six plus. You still have, and I'm not putting the outcome of the series on these guys, but you have Michael Lorenzen yeah. and Taiwan Walker. Yep. You can use them. You don't have to keep going back to the same well over and over again. All right. Tell me, Mike Sealski. In order, the three guys in the bullpen, and they did three for a reason, mm-hmm. that you trust the most right now. From, you want most, most trustworthy, oh, one, okay. two, three. Jeff Hoffman, number one, clearly. More than Alvarado. Yes. Oh, okay. I go right Alvarado, now. one, Hoffman, two. No, okay. I put Alvarado second right okay. now. Okay. Uh, because I don't think his cutter, it's back, but it's not quite what it was. Okay. Last season, he is struggling with the strike zone a little bit. Uh, and then beyond that, 
That's why I put three. Yeah. <laughs> because there's not three. Yeah, there really isn't. I mean, I can't say Lorenzen or Walker because I haven't seen enough of them no. to know Sir how Anthony? they perform. I, I, yeah, Dominguez has got to be Well, I guess more than Soto. Yes, yes. I, I bet it's got to be those three. It's Hoffman, Alvarado, Dominguez. And that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, does it? No. What inspires confidence is Wheeler goes seven tonight. Mm-hmm. Hands it off for an inning to Alvarado, and and Hoffman comes in with a six-run lead. Well, look, we have seen what Rob Thompson does in playoff games. No, you can't pitch Alvarado tonight. No, you can't. You can't. Ranger, something. Well, Ranger's starting Game Seven. I I would. Yeah, you, but you, you got to get up. to Game Seven first. So would you use him in relief tonight? Absolutely. Over I would think, anybody. Yeah. yeah. O- over Kimbrel. Over Kirkering. Maybe not over Strom and Even Soto. Even knowing he's starting in three days. Or he may start, you know, if you don't get there. But I hear you. I don't argue your point. Hey, it's interesting. He used him in relief last year in the oh, League Championship good. Series. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. good. He's been, he, listen, he's been a great pitcher all along. So, wait, when did he pitch? What day did he pitch? He pitched game three. So, that was I'm, I'm, two I'm, days ago. Can you get an, it, it might be his throw day. Can you get an uh, inning out of him on a throw day? Okay. That's good. You know what? Good work by both of you guys. Anthony. Uh, I want to talk about Rob Thompson. What's up, Anthony? Good morning, guys. Hey. Happy uh, Saturday where we have 500,000 managers on Facebook. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's true. exactly right. Just another day, so, Anthony. Oh, man. Well, that's the beauty of baseball, right? You can question a lot of decisions, and, you know, that's what's fun about it. So, you, And you can be right a lot of the time during the year and think, oh, I could be a major league manager. But uh, here's my question or, or my thought. The thing with Rob right now that has me confused is he has so much confidence in these guys, and they feel it and they feed off of it. Yet, to me, he's managing a little scared in that so quick, like he's, he's so afraid to give up one run. When you have these bashers, you know, all right, granted, they're not swinging amazing the last two days. But it's like he's pushing this panic button. Like, it's okay for your starter to give up two, three, four runs. I mean, we won a World Series with, what, uh, Hamels, Myers. Moyer. Blanton, Moyer. Moyer, who will be joining us in about 20 minutes. So you're saying he should have left Christopher Sanchez in longer specifically or others? Uh, I just feel like he's been – he's had a quick hook. Yeah, Sanchez I probably would have let go. Again, I don't want to get – it's more the mindset that I feel like he's panicking the minute he feels a tiny little bit of pressure from the opposing offense when it's like, it's baseball. Come on, Topper. Like, we can score six, seven runs with our team and yeah. save that bullpen a little bit. So it's more the mindset that I'm questioning a little bit. But I love the guy. I All think right. he's a – so I, I think that's no, I think Anthony makes a really good point in the context of a ser- a seven game series, right? Like I don't know that you can get away with that in a best of five or even in the wild card round. But I think Anthony's got a good point in that you can if you're a manager, you can give a starter a little more time, especially in a game four, where you're up two games to one, right? Like you don't necessarily need to play that game like it's an elimination game. Does that make sense? It does except they all do that these days. I mean, they you know, they, Arizona pulled that kid pitching a no, 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 excuse me, a shutout. Yeah, with nine, ten strikeouts the other day, five and two thirds inning because they didn't want him to see anybody the third time. But around. that doesn't mean it was the right thing to no, do. No, I'm not saying it's the right thing yeah. to do, but it is funny how it is. It is what everybody does. Yeah, 
Yeah, because I, I agree. I'd love look, to go a little longer. Look, better tonight. Yeah, better tonight. We, we've talked about this. The decisions that a manager makes often are based on whether he can justify making that decision after the game. The analytics told me this. We couldn't let Fott go through the lineup a third time, even though he struck out nine guys and the Phillies can't touch him because the numbers say if he goes through the lineup a third time, Bryce Harper's going to hit one 500 feet, or the chances are better yeah. that he's going to hit one 500 feet. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now, just a reminder, coming up November 7th, get your tickets now. Ray Dittinger and I are going to host Sports Movie Night at the Players Club of Swarthmore. We're going to show clips of about nine or ten of the greatest sports movies of all time, talk about how they were made, casting decisions, all kinds of good fun stuff, get the audience involved. Uh, Ray and I back on stage together, and we hope you join us November 7th, Players Club of Swarthmore. For tickets, go to PCS Theater, pcstheater.org. WIP Sports Times, 1140. Well, I was feeling what Merrill was feeling. Yeah. I, I was just, oh, no. Oh, no. Other than the quarterback, Lane is the most Im- probably the most important player on the offense. You tie, a tie with him and Kelsey, I would say. Well, here's the deal. It looked really bad at the time. Uh, sprained ankle. But the good news is, I guess, that it is a grade one lateral sprain on his right ankle. I learned it after an MRI. And he's going to play tomorrow. He's going to play tomorrow. By all accounts, Dr. David Gelt, our friend from Cooper Bone and Joint, one of the experts over there, joins us. Doc, it, I mean, to me, sprained ankle is two, three weeks, maybe more. How does a guy play in an NFL game with a sprained ankle? Yeah, well, it all depends on uh, how severe it is. When you say grade one, that's actually very positive. This means uh, sometimes the ligaments and the fibers are sort of stretched out a little bit, but there's no tearing. Oh, grade one is the, is the most minor? Is that what it yes, is? Yes, correct. Uh, yeah, it's uh, grade one, grade two, grade three. So grade one is your just gets stretched out. Grade two is like a partial tear, and then grade three is a complete tear. So the good thing is uh, grade one is, is good, and uh, especially on the lateral side, there are little flimsy ligaments on the outside, but they do heal up pretty quickly, and then you can usually support it with a, a brace that he's going to be uh, on and some tape as well, and then um, some, obviously some anti-inflammatories and such, and then uh, we'll move on from there. But hopefully uh, he may not be 100%, but if he's able to function and uh, go through his emotions, then it should be good. Uh, the easier thing for him to do with a sprained ankle doctor run for uh, run block and surge forward or pass block and kind of settle back into his into his stance that way yeah i mean it's really the, the side to side movement so and then even backpedaling and you're going to be putting a lot of stress there so uh leaning forward i think is the best thing you know if you go north and south that's even better you know right but the side to side motions and then planting and twisting that's when you really have to be I, concerned I, about i get run blocking is the answer out of that which, yeah. by the way, I'm fine with. I think that sounds good uh, to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, look, anything that's going to keep that Dolphins offense off the field is right. something they ought to be exploring. Doc, in your medical opinion, is Lane Johnson at 50 percent better than Jack Driscoll at 100 percent? Well, you know, from his uh, experience, that uh, he never gives up a sack, and I definitely would like to have him out there if we can. No, he- no. Take nothing from Driscoll. Yeah, no, I, you can be diplomatic if you choose. That, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I, I don't need to be diplomatic. Um. He has shown a tremendous ability to play through stuff. I remember last year, he, like he played through the torn groin for God's sake. Yeah, sakes. the torn adductor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yep. I would yep. have been lying like underneath my couch for three weeks. And <laughs> I, I know these guys; they're professionals, and they can deal with high thresholds of pain. But and I, I don't know that you can make this observation, but I'll ask it anyway. 
it would just seem that he's an extraordinary human being in being able to work through that stuff. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, a lot of professional athletes, they get to a point where they know they're going to get hurt and they can push through it and play. That's why they get to that level. And other people like you and me, if we have an injury, we said no, or let's sit out for a little bit. So that's the difference between the, the professional athlete and, and the people like us. Sit, right. sit down for a little bit. I would be incapacitated <laughs> for the better part of six months. Yeah, really. I'm not going yeah. anywhere. Uh, Doc, I know you double as a psychiatrist. Can you uh, give yeah. this town a little mental health uh uh, cheer up about the Phillies tonight. Well, we have our ace playing, so uh, you know that's always good. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, if it goes seven, seven and a half, and then uh, and there's not much in the in the bullpen right now, but hopefully it'll be up like five nothing. The the bats will start hitting, and then we'll uh, come back home there you up go. three two. There, there, that's what we needed. Now we're all confident. Good work. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, doctor. All right, guys. Good luck. There you go, Dr. David Geld. Always nice to talk to you. He does make a good point, though, about the fact that one of the ways to neutralize the skittishness of the Phillies' bullpen would be for the Phillies to score seven, eight, nine runs and mash like they're supposed to mash, and they really haven't done that the last two games. Yes, and however... Zach Allen is yeah. is really good. He is really good. I I got to tell you, I the, the one I underestimated was the kid the other night. Fat. Yeah, fat. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like Christopher Walken describing a bodily function. Uh, <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, it kind of does. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this because, this kid this kid fat. He's he's yeah. great. You know. Because that's good. I I look. And his season, I you know, I didn't, I don't, when do I watch the Diamondbacks, right? right? I, I watch them when they play the Phillies. I don't sit down mm-hmm. at night and watch, oh, good, there's a Diamondbacks Seattle game on. I'll watch no, this no, no, till no. 2 in the morning. I'm not doing that. <laughs> no. So I, I just looked at the numbers, and it's like, oh, the kid's got a 592 ERA, and he gives up a ton of hits, and he's a rookie mm-hmm. pitching, and they got nobody else in the rotation. The Phillies ought to slaughter this guy. Yeah, but sometimes a rookie doesn't know that the other team is supposed to slaughter him. Yeah, well, tell that to your guy. What do we call him now? Kettering? Kirkering? Kirkering. Whatever you want to call him. Yeah, tell him that. Now they're but, in the game for the Phillies, Sloan Kettering. Right. Yes. But the, the kid, the ki- he was really good. And what I should have known and read and done my research is that he was on an upward arc. Mm-hmm. And over the last month of the season looked really good. So yeah. that said, uh, I am very confident that Zach Wheeler will pitch well again tonight because he always does. What, what was it? He's got the best whip in the history of the playoff in the postseason? Yeah, he Is, has. Like, you kidding me? Yeah, I don't know that he's had a Babe bad... Ruth, Whitey Ford, Sandy Koufax, all these, the, you know, Verlander, all this. He's got it. The only time he's been really touched up in a postseason game for the Phillies was game two of the World Series last year when, when mm. Houston yeah. got to him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, he's been absolutely great, and you need him to be absolutely great tonight. You just do. You do. But to your point, it helps if you put up three runs yes. early to give everybody some confidence. Comfort, Zach Gallen, which is kind of where I was originally starting to go until I meandered around with fat. <laughs> yeah. Who fat is? He's from Boston, that, yes. Until you said that, I hadn't thought that it's somebody from New England. Yeah, like, <laughs> ah, the guy's fat. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Anyway. He, he, he stinks. Yeah. Okay. Until, until that, I had noticed that, but to my original point, um, Zach Allen is is good mm-hmm. and is particularly good at home. Yep, two forty two, I think, was his ERA this season in Arizona. <sighs> Who do you need a hero tonight, man? They need a hero. They need Castellanos to put the ball in play with a little more authority than he has the last couple of nights. Because 
I think I think Phillies fans right now could use a couple of shots of Liam Castellanos because he's been absent the last couple of games from their television set. Yeah, I noticed there's some kid in Arizona who's made the screen a couple of times. Yeah. But I don't think he's related to anybody. No. By the way, can I just rip their fans for a second? Or Go just at it. least a couple of their fans, sure. okay? What is the thing back there with people holding up signs behind home plate? Got me. I don't know if you've noticed. I, I, I notice all that stupid stuff. Yeah, I, I hadn't picked up on there that. There was a like a twelve year old girl the other day who was holding up a sign. Looked like Sally Fields in Norma Ray. Holding up Union? Yeah, well I, <laughs> I couldn't read the sign. Fortunately I could not read the sign, nor were they gonna uh, the broadcast mm-hmm. you know, they clearly didn't want me to. She held up that sign for like seven innings. Then last night, you're not seeing this, huh? Behind home plate. No, nah, I'm I'm locked in on the, the game. There's a guy, yeah. <laughs> there's a guy leaning over the railing with some stupid sign for like four innings. Look, I, there's watch n- the game, damn it. Yeah, there's not going to be. We talked about this. There's not going to be another ballpark and another crowd that is as locked in on each pitch as the crowd at Citizens Bank Park. There yep. just isn't. Yeah. And Arizona and Phoenix area is one of those places where there's other stuff, right? It's 100 degrees out there right now. People are lounging by the pool and getting sunstroke and stuff like that. So even the people who are in the ballpark are not going to be as intense as the people in They are not. All right, let's take a quick break. Coming up, we'll take your calls at 215-592-9494. We'll check in with Jamie Moyer. He knows about pitching in the playoffs right here. Mike and Glenn on 94 WIP. And it's time of year to, again, consider replacing your old drafting windows and doors before another cold, long winter season rolls in and the great people at Guided Door and Window, they're going to help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off, and you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. So you buy an entry door, you get half off a storm door. You buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. Ah, Mike, that wasn't four days ago. No. Five days ago. That's tonight. Yeah. That's a preview of what you're going to hear. At least we hope so. (laughs) Uh, our pal Jamie Moyer joins us now. Jamie Moyer had an amazing major league career spanning uh, three different decades and uh, maybe capped all that off by throwing out the first pitch in those white Phillies overalls. That was uh, that was game two against the Marlins, Jamie. Is that right? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. Good look, morning. Look great. Good morning. Or actually, afternoon to you guys. It is. It is. It yes. Is. Thank you so much for, for joining us uh, early in the morning out in the West Coast. Um, and we played that cut coming in of Zach Wheeler in his last game and how good he was because one of the things we've been talking about today is does how much does momentum exist in baseball, particularly in the playoffs, and how much is it just really dependent on who the starting pitcher is. So what we are hoping is that you will kind of agree with the statement that momentum is not a big deal day-to-day, and if you have somebody like Zach Wheeler out there, by the way, they got Zach Allen out there, no slouch, uh, it's really about what happens tonight, not what happened yesterday. That's 100% correct. Uh, yesterday's over. Um, and, uh, you know, as an athlete, you have, to, you have to think that way. You have to act that way. Um, you can – uh, learn from past 
you know, mistakes or losses or whatever, however you look at it personally, right? You, you learn from it and you move forward. And because you can't do anything about what happened yesterday. And look, what team or teams in sports history have gone through playoffs and won every game? Name, name that team or teams. Yeah, only in the men's basketball tournament <laughs> or the men's and women's right, NCAA basketball right, tournament. Right, right, right. Exactly. Where you have to, right? Right. That, yeah. that has to happen, right? But I'm talking about, you know, a three-game, five-game, one-game, whatever, seven-game playoff. What team does that? I mean, once in a, in, in, in a blue moon, something like that happens. Uh, but it doesn't happen. So, you know what? Deal with it and move on. And – you know, put put your energy, put your focus into today, and you know, you look and you're right. Zach Wheeler, you can build off of Zach Wheeler. He has, he's he's had nothing but uh, great starts. And uh, think about that situation. What if you used uh, Zach Wheeler two days ago or yesterday, and you say, well, we don't now we now don't have him for game five, six, or seven. You have him for game five tonight. And uh, who knows what's going to happen So, uh, in, in the future. So let's focus on tonight and say, you know what, he's going to have a great game. We're going to build off of his momentum, momentum he's created. And look what happens. You know, when, when the Phillies have played at home, the starting pitchers really uh, set the tone of the game. And then the offense has piled on. Right now, mm-hmm. on the road, they hit first. So it's the opportunity for to start, you know, the offense to do that, but still, you know, the start the starting pitchers you know, just as important. Jamie, one of the things that I've heard you talk about, and I believe it was to uh, Glenn and my friend Tyler Kepner, uh, who was with the mm-hmm. New York Times, now with the Athletic, was the mentality of a starting pitcher. In the sense mm-hmm. that you're the one on the mound, you're the one holding the ball, therefore you are the one in control of the game. Take us through how that sort of thinking informs a starting pitcher in a game like the one Wheeler is going to pitch tonight in Game 5 in the kind of games that you pitched for the Phillies in 07, 08, 09, for the Mariners back in 2000, 2001. You know, put us in your shoes in that sort of situation. Well, I mean, for me, you know, the, it, it, the pitcher has the ball and the communications between the pitcher and the catcher. So you want, you know, you, you know, I don't know if it's still happening. You know, today's game's a little removed from me because I'm not involved in it. But I know the starting catcher uh, in the errors that I played in would come down and catch part of your bullpen or the whole bullpen. He wanted to see what kind of stuff you had. I don't know if they do that in today's game. But in my era, they did it that way. Or, you know, the times when I played, they did it that way. You walked across the field together. Sometimes you had conversations. Sometimes you didn't have conversation. If he had thoughts, he would share. If you had thoughts, they would share. Sometimes the pitching coach would add thoughts. Um, don't know if that's done any longer. But for me, when I came to that bench, when I said I, I purposely tried to come in a little bit early so I could tell off, sit down, recollect my thoughts, and change my focus from a pregame 
to now I'm going to cross the white lines and pitch. And, you know, thinking about tempo, rhythm, you know, throwing strikes, you know, know, working on the leadoff hitter, not trying to face the second, third, or fourth hitter when the leadoff hitter was in the batter's box. Focus in the moment on the task at hand, and that's pitch one. And that's where the game starts. And now I've got to figure out what kind of strike zone the pitching, you know, the, the umpire is going to have that's changed right now. Mm-hmm. It's you pitch to a box, mm-hmm. right? Uh, then, you know, what's my history with the hitter who's on deck? Um, what's You know, what situation are we in? We're in the first inning, the third inning, the fourth inning, the sixth inning. What's the score of the game? How many pitches do I have? What's the weather like? Is the wind blowing out? Is the wind blowing dead in? Um, you know, there's a lot of things that, that come into play and all these things, you're not thinking of all of this stuff between pitch, you know, pitch to pitch, but they're all things that you do that come into play and into your mind during the course of a game. And to me, that's, you know, it's like, I don't know, anybody who golfs, you, you know, you're managing on, on a golf course. Now I, I kind of looked at it as managing uh, on the mound. For well, myself, Mike, kind of micromanaging. This is how Jamie Moyer lasted 25 years yes. in the major leagues, won 269 games, another three in the playoffs. Um, Rob Thompson's got a, a bit of a challenge uh, right now in that um, Craig Kimbrell is really kind of last two games. Well, he gave up four runs in the last two games, and it's very difficult to put him in a closing situation or a game uh, pressure situation toward the end of the game, it appears. The dilemma is that some of the guys who are pitching the best for him, Jeff Hoffman, let's take him for example, doesn't have that late inning experience, most especially in the postseason. What kind of things does Rob Thompson have to weigh and measure right now when he looks at how he's going to set up the back end of his bullpen? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you got to go with the hot hand. Um, you know, I, again, I, I kind of, for me to answer this question, I go back to managers that I played for and try to recall what they did with guys who were pitching well or weren't pitching well, right? Mm-hmm. And first of all, you probably won't see Kimbrough in a game tonight. He's pitched back-to-back right. nights right. where he's thrown 50-some-odd pitches in two days. Right. You know, and look, you're, you're at the time of the year. You're playing on adrenaline, right? This, these games are all about the adrenaline, right? You're mm-hmm. on – players are playing – Energy-wise, they're playing on fumes. But in Phil, you you come to play in Philadelphia, or you play in a playoff game. But I, Philadelphia, more importantly, I mean, you're walking on a cloud. Mm. You know, the energy that's in that ballpark is uplifting. It's lifting. As you mentioned, I threw out that first pitch. I sat in the tunnel, and you know, how many years ago was it? In 2008, you know, when we played in the World Series, I sat in the tunnel the other night. And I'm like, oh my god, I yeah. forgot what. Mm. What this feels like oh, that's sitting great. in the dugout. That's great. Right? Yeah. And it was it was I I was sitting in the tunnel, not on the bench, and I was like I was kind of levitating off the ground. Right? Mm. And then I walked up the steps and came on the field and I'm like, Oh my God, this is what it feels I loved it. Mm. Right? So to me as a player, you know, that's what it's about. You hear these guys talk about, you know, be in the moment. You know, they are in the moment. They're enjoying it. They're t- and everybody handles it differently. There's not a, a right and a wrong way. And you don't know how you're going to handle that, right? But Craig Kimball, look, he's been through the wars. He's been through the battles. 
I'm sure there's nobody that feels worse than he does, right? To what happened. Sure, sure. And sure. you know, and Topper's got a, you know what? He's got a, he's gonna, you know, he might surprise people and he might throw somebody out there who doesn't have experience. But guess what? How do you get that experience? You got to be in the moment. Yeah. And you got to have the opportunity and you take it and run. And that's kind of how I see, uh, you know, he's used somewhat, you know, at, at times in his bullpen. He's thrown somebody in the end of the game. Maybe it's not a one-run game basis loaded, but he's put somebody into the situation. So down the road, he feels comfortable using that person in that, that situation. And, you know, you're trying to give some guys rest when you can. Um, as I'm sure every day when they're gone, you know, to their pitching staff and saying, how do you feel today? They're all going, hey, Skip. I'm ready to go. Sure. Right. The, <laughs> yeah. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't do that? Right? right. Who wouldn't do that? So, you know, you, you know, that's a, that's a tough, uh, uh, way to look at things from a manager perspective because you know, everybody's going to want the ball. Right. We're, we're talking right? to, we're, we're talking to Jamie Moyer, former terrific major league pitcher, longtime major league pitcher, uh, part of the world series, Phillies world series team from 2008. So, so Jamie, to that point, might you, if you were in Rob Thompson's, Thompson's shoes, excuse me, might you be more inclined to throw, a, let's say, a Ranger Suarez for an inning tonight uh, because he has pitched in those big moments and because he's been used in relief uh, right. in previous situations? Right. I'm, I'm sure that those thoughts are crossing their minds. Those conversations are being had. Um, you know, because you, now you're down to – you know, you've got three three potential games left, but if you win two, you don't have to play three. But you got to win tonight before you can win on Monday. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And, and, and so, to, go ahead, and tonight, I think tonight is the key game with three games left. Right, you win tonight. Now you can win one of two. You lose tonight. You have to win the next two. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Yep. You can you you can spin it any way you want. Everybody's going to have their own opinion on it. There's not a right opinion. There's not a wrong opinion, right? But it's an opinion, and that's all it is is an opinion. And like you said, manager has feel, and I think Topper. I mean, I, I you know, if there's anybody that has feel, he's got it, right? And he's going to go with his gut instincts and what what he he's in the clubhouse. He's out there for batting practice. He's, you know, he's getting information back from pitching coaches and other coaches. He's getting information on the, you know, the saber metrics and all, you know, the numbers that they have. Now he has to put that into his own little computer, meaning his head, and and make a decision. That's why he's the skipper. Jamie, last one from me. I'm curious about this, given the style that you pitched with. One of the things mm-hmm. that we have discussed on the show so far is the fact that Craig Kimbrell's fastball, particularly last night, was not where it usually is. He threw 13 fastballs and only four of them top 95. And he's a guy who lives in a high velocity kind of world. Mm-hmm. You were a guy who was really pitching. And mm-hmm. I'm curious when you're in a game three of the World Series as you were in 08, did you mm-hmm. have to work to even maybe take more off the ball, kind of go the other way in those moments to make sure that you were 
putting the ball exactly where you needed to, where you were changing speeds in the way that you needed to. Uh, well, if if I took more off the ball, I would have had an arc to it. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good right? point. But, no, you know, to me, uh, velocity, you know, and, and as we all know, the game today is all about velocity. But as a pitcher, it's, you know, for me, even now watching games, it's what is the hitter's reaction mm. to the pitch, right? I don't care if it's 85, 95, or 105. What's the hitter's reaction to the pitch? And then, you know, you have to, you know, these guys have faced each other before, and there's, you know, there's scouting reports and things like that. But, you know, there's, there's hitters that are trying to set up pitchers just like pitchers are trying to set up the hitter, right? Yeah. The guy, you throw a slider, and, you know, a hitter takes a bad swing at it, and, and now as a pitcher you're going, oh, I got him. But maybe that bad swing was an intentional bad swing to bait you into throwing another one, and he's sitting on your slider, and he and now you hit a double in the gap or a ball off the wall, and you know the fans or the the you know the, the TV broadcasters, you know they're saying, oh well, you know how did he? Why did he throw him that pitch? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, th- there's there's two ways to look at it. You know, I, I've seen that, you know, I was a young player in Chicago, quick rant right here, or just a story. Uh, Manny Trio, uh, sitting on the bench, Manny, you're going to pinch hit, goes up, and, and, you know, he acted like he didn't even want to hit. I know he wanted to hit. Uh, great player, Manny was, and first pitch, he gets a curveball. He swung at it like he had a lead bat at home plate, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, later, and now he sat on the curveball, later in the at-bat, he throws him another curveball, base it up the middle. They go out and pinch run for him. And Manny comes, you know, jogging across the field in the dugout. And he's laughing and laughing. He goes, you know, I can't say what he exactly said, but he was laughing, going, you know what? This pitcher was stupid. Huh. He knew what he you was know, doing. I, yeah. I, I, set him, I set him up for that curveball because I knew I'd get it again. Yep. And not only the pitcher, but it was the catcher who called it as well. Right. So, so I mean, there, there, you know, but you still have to execute it. Number one, and number two, you still have to hit it. As you know, doesn't mean you're going, you're going to hit it. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm a believer. There's not an exact pitch for an exact situation. You have to execute the pitch. Yeah. Well. We will see tonight as uh, Phillies try to get back the advantage uh, out in Arizona. Jamie Moyer, thank you, as always. Thanks so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Jamie. Oh, I appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Love talking baseball. All right, man. Be well. Take care. Take there care. You go. There is Jamie Moyer. I don't, it, he, he views the game on a very cerebral level, which is, which is interesting. He, he reminds me of an anecdote about Greg Maddox. Which was oh I know this yeah so Maddox would talk about pitching, and he would say stand on an overpass and watch traffic go by. He said if every single car is going ninety miles an hour, after a while you can time it so that you see one car going seventy in the right lane. It looks like it's inching along the highway, and that's he said that's the way you have to think about pitching is you have to think about disrupting a hitter's timing, so that the the seventy mile an hour car. He swings and misses at it, uh, and I'm sure Jamie looks at pitching the same way. My Maddox story is is different. That's the one I thought you were going to tell because he was telling the story about Manny Trio setting the guy up by taking a mm-hmm. terrible swing, and then the pitch comes again. He does it. 
So this was, I'm trying to think of who the catcher was who said this. It was said by his catcher mm-hmm. um, that Maddox is in a game and he's up five to nothing. And a guy comes up and Maddox just throws a meatball. And the guy laces it for a double. Mm-hmm. And the catcher goes out to the man and says, like, I know you're better than that. Why'd you throw that? And he said, because next time he's up, he's going to wait for that pitch. And I'm going to, in a, in a, next time he's up, in a more important situation, he's going to wait for that pitch and I'm going to set him up. Yeah. I'm up five nothing. I could afford to give this guy a double. Right. And it is that, you know, yeah. just th- not the just like every it. pitch I got to get him out. Yep. yep. All right. Let's grab a couple calls. Nathan. Whoops. Uh, there he is. Hey, Nathan, what's on your mind today? Nathan. Nate. All right. Well, we lost. Uh, him. Oh, 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 wait. I got to back. Hold on. Oh, Nate. Was that was there you go. You there? Yeah, I told him my name was Jason. My fault. Oh, okay. Oh. That's all right. Um, so first of all, I just want to say I love this show. I listen almost every morning. I listen in the car every chance I get. You guys are great. Thank, Thank you. you. But um, I just want to ask a question to start. Do you guys think that Rob Thompson overmanaged this game last night? Uh, I do in terms of some of his decisions with taking pitchers out, yes. Yeah, I'm right there with Glenn. I would have gone to somebody other than Jeff Hoffman earlier in the game when you took Chris Sanchez out, and I would have done everything I possibly could have to have stayed away from Craig Kimbrell. Once Sanchez came out, I, I think it just all broke loose. Like, I love the skipper. He got he got us this far, but these two last games with this decision-making, like, what are we doing? I understand Orion was good in the regular season, but what are we doing putting in a rookie and that in that situation just after uh I forget who was it? I think it was uh Yeah, well, Sir Anthony came, uh, Sir Anthony I, came in. He wasn't doing too bad. It was Soto. I think it was after. No, it was yeah. Soto and Soto was actually having some trouble and he, Soto, yeah, yeah, Soto was having but, trouble. But but to your point, I think we we don't need to see Orion for at least the rest of this series. And the next time he pitches should be a very low-leverage situation to see if he's okay. Yeah, and look, there's the flip side to this, too, and I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't point this out. I am a big believer in that a baseball manager's primary strength or weakness comes down to the environment and the atmosphere that he creates on a day-to-day basis. Do his guys want to play for him? So there is something to be said for the fact that Thompson, over time, shows a lot of trust in his guys and doesn't panic generally speaking. Now, yes. in a series like this, decisions like this matter a yeah, whole lot. I get do. it. They do. It. They so, do. look, I, and I think a lot of that comes down to how this team is going to respond tonight. Maybe the, if they respond positively, we're going to be able to take a step back and say, well, it's because of Rob Thompson's steady hand and the environment he creates and all those things I just talked I'm gonna about. I'm going to be on tomorrow morning at 10 with Jody. Yeah. I really need a win tonight. <laughs> I, I, if they lose tonight, it's this times three. Yeah, it is. Oh, panic! Panic I, will be I through the roof. I don't want to do the panic in the street show tomorrow with Jody. I want to do the all is well. I, I understand, all Kevin right. Bacon. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, because that, yeah, that's kind of bogus. I yeah. can't do that. All right. Well, you know what I'm saying. I get you. I right, sneak in Alfred here. Hello, Alfred. Yes. Hi. Hey. Uh, hi, Alfred. It's the, it's the Mac Michael show, and I and I love it. Thank, Thank you. you. Hey, listen. Um. Jamie Moyer, very insightful. You don't suppose he has anything left in his arm, do you? <laughs> Listen, he didn't have anything left in his arm in 2006, and he got, a, and he got another five years after that. So. A- a- Alfred, I just looked it up. He was – I am 48 years old, and I think he was older when he finished his career with the Rockies <laughs> oh, than 40, I am now. He was 49. Yeah. 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 Amazing. And he gets the Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be rising. 
Yeah. Uh, my observation about the, some of the lack of hitting, uh, JT uh, swinging at some stuff that uncharacteristically are closer to the batter's uh, box than uh, than, uh, uh, than You know, him. it's an interesting thing. I'm sorry if I did I interrupt you. I apologize. Oh, I was just going to say the same thing, but especially about the about Nikki right now. He's he's swinging at everything so they throw him nothing. And uh, phew, I love yeah, I love that you use the first names. Uh, this is the thing they they they're impatient at the plate. Yes, but they got here by being impatient at the plate. They swing a lot at first pitches, and my instinct is always like, wait a few pitches. Oh, it's a single. We're okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of their style, and it works for them, and it's not, you know, I, I'm with Alfred. Like, let's work the pitcher. Let's make him throw something. To, to draw on what we talked about earlier in the show about them needing to kind of tighten things up a little bit, look, they got here, and I saw someone on social media make this point, and I think it's a good one. They got here by being goofballs, loosely speaking. Yeah. Sometimes goofballs are going to play like goofballs, and they did last night in Game 4, mm. and – you take the good with the bad in that regard, and I, I do think they need to be kind of on point for this one because yeah. this is going to go a long way to determining how the rest of their season goes. Let's be honest about 807 it. 8.07 tonight. Need some good. 215-592-9494. Hey, they play football tomorrow. I know. I'm going to be there. Can you believe? You're going to be there too, right? I am, yes. Do you believe it's like this is the day before a huge Eagles game? We don't care. <laughs> we do, though. We and do so care. We are going to get into that in a moment and take your calls. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. And it is time for me to tell you. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with the great people from Meridian Bank recently, uh, along with one of their business banking customers. And I got to tell you, it was, it, it was a fascinating experience because I've met a lot of business owners over the years who worked with Meridian. And every single time, I'm just blown away at how highly they speak of Meridian Bank and their relationship. And I know this because I work with Meridian Bank, and I really value that relationship and everything they have done. I know the team of Meridian. It's no surprise they are the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs. Meridian itself, they're entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas and understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com. All right, so I'll admit, Mike, I went back – over the last couple of days mm-hmm. uh, in the afternoon, I watched a lot of Dolphins stuff from this, this season. I went back and watched kind of the condensed games. Yeah. It's a little scary. Yeah. It's very scary. <laughs> Your offense is really good. Yeah. I have a um, I have a column that's up on Inquire.com now, kind of a brief one that'll be in uh, Sunday's Inquire, that draws the comparison that I think is the only comparison you can draw for this year's Dolphins team, and that's to the 99 99- St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf. That's um. how much faster they are than everybody else in the league right now. And, you know, the thing, it's funny, Glenn, the thing that doesn't get talked about very much around here is kind of the context of the way the Eagles have struggled on offense a little bit this year. We know we've talked a lot about their red zone struggles and not getting touchdowns. Guess what? Offense is down around the NFL. Yeah, I see that. I in a, see that. In a big way. Yeah, oh, ex- yeah. Except with Everything the Everything cycles, and now it's kind of defense. But, yes, they are scoring. Now, a couple things. The one team that shut them down was the only real quality team they played this year, which is the Bills. Exactly. That gives me some hope about the Eagles tomorrow. Yes. To me, so, and I'm going to save my pick for tomorrow. I hope you're going to give your pick here. Uh, to me, the Eagles – Injuries in the secondary make it a little bit 
uh, or put so much more pressure on the Eagles front four to get there. Yeah. And I hope Jalen Carter is healthy. I hope Fletcher Cox is a week healthier. I hope the Eagles have really just can put pressure on because it's the only way they're going to win tomorrow is by is by getting in this guy in the backfield. Yeah. Look, the Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel is really smart and really oh, creative. He, I, I'm watching those plays. He is really creative. He's really creative. Uh, they. It's an interesting contrast because the Dolphins use motion on offense more than any team in the NFL, and the Eagles use it less than any team in the NFL. Yeah, which bothers. <laughs> Does. Um, and they have speed to burn. They have Tyreek Hill. They have Jalen Waddle. They have Raheem Mostert in the backfield. They get these guys in space, and they burn. And I think your point about the secondary is right. Reed Blankenship is not playing tomorrow. And it's going to come down to that pass rush, and I don't know that they're going to be able to get to Tua Tagovailoa often enough to slow them down. So the other way you slow them down is you don't give them the ball, and the right. way you don't give them the ball is you run the ball. You run the ball. Run the ball. <laughs> now, I worry that Nick is going to think i got to beat him pass for pass, and he's going to throw the ball 40 times again like he did against the Jets, which he shouldn't have done. I understand the Jets had all those injuries in the secondary, but this did not work out. No. No. Run the ball tomorrow? Yeah, I would advise them to do that as well. The question is, as it always is with the Eagles, is are they actually going to do that? Because we know their organizational philosophy. Should I give my prediction now, or do you want to wait till the end of the segment? Just wait till the end of the segment. Okay. All right, let's get Andy, uh, who wants to talk about the Eagles. What do you think tomorrow, Andy? Hey, guys. How you doing? All doing right. well, Andy. I'm concerned. I... You know, you know that they're not going to win every game. You know they're going to lose to a team they shouldn't have lost to and beat a team they shouldn't have beat. But the way they played up until last weekend where, you know, they won, but they, you know, probably shouldn't have won a couple of games. The Miami Dolphins have, you know, F-16s and F-15s, and I don't know that we've got, you know, the ammunition to fight them on the in the secondary. It's scary. A little concerned. It, it is the secondary. You, yeah. You're right. And by the way, the game they shouldn't have lost that they lost, they got that out of the way now, right? That was the Jets, Andy? I, I would hope it's the Jets. Listen, the Redskins, excuse me, the Commanders at home, they barely got by. And that was at home. Yeah. And the Commanders are no great shake. So, you know, I, I, I don't know what to make of this, this team. I... I don't want to put it on Jalen. I don't know if it's the coaching. I don't know if it's, I think it's everybody getting comfortable. Those things. I mean, I think, I think it's a lot of things. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, be thanks, well. Andy. My best to you and your family. Jalen is not. I mean, we keep trying to say like, oh, he's having a fine year, and he's not having a fine. He's year. turning the ball over way too much. Seven interceptions, I think, two or three fumbles for losses. Yeah. Can't do that. Um, our friend Dave Zangaro from NBC Sports Philadelphia had a great analogy about the Jets game last week, which. Right up to the moment that Hurts threw that interception that led to the loss, I thought he had played really, really well given the defense he was going against, given some of the things that were working against him, receivers dropping passes, all that kind of stuff. And Dave's analogy was it was like a college student having an A in a class for the entire semester and then flunking the final Ooh. that is 60% of his grade. Oh, jeez. And it was, he was right. Jalen never should have thrown that ball. It was no. a misread. Yeah. But the flip side is I can't – I can't blame Nick Sirianni too much for calling that play because it's a it's your two hundred fifty five million dollar quarterback. Well, 
he should you should you gotta I, trust him a little I bit. I would have I would have done one of two things. I would have just run the ball because time is a thing. You run the yeah. ball, you punt it with a minute twenty one to go, pin them deep in their territory, giving it to Zach Wilson. So that I would have mm. no problem with that. The other option to me was have him roll out so that if he if he uh, hurts, mm-hmm. if he doesn't see anything, he can just run. Yeah. Kill the clock. Or if it's just like a really safe pass, do it. Mm-hmm. But that thing where you're dropping back and Jack Driscoll is is yeah. getting beat again. Yeah. Right? So he's feeling that pressure on his right side, throws off his back foot into triple coverage. It was a bad call, but it also it's like yeah. it was it was don't throw that ball. What are you doing? Misbegotten you know better start. than that. He knows better than that. Yeah. Or he should. Well, I think he does. I think it was just hero ball is what I think it was. Could be. Could very well be. Uh, Carl is with us. Hey, Carl. Hi. Uh, uh, could I uh, please talk to Winston Wolf? This is his friend, Vincent <laughs> Hi, Carl. How you doing? He's uh, he's referencing really a well. Pulp Fiction reference I think I made well, on the show a while ago. Okay. Well, I get that. Absolutely. I, I have to tell you how much I enjoyed your article about Wes Hopkins, my second favorite eagle of all time after Chuck Bednarik, oh. and a totally not remembered, completely forgotten monster of, I think he played free safety. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And, and, and thanks, Carl. I appreciate the kind words. Carl's great article. Thank I'll you. I'll tell you a real funny anecdote. My company had a super box at the old vet, which right over the uh, right field bullpen. Mm-hmm. So we're literally in the end zone, and there's an activity going on during a game. I forget who we were playing. I look to my left, and there are two women. And you allude to it in your article, mm-hmm. and you you gave it what it deserved. But in reality, it was Ali Fraser. Yeah. Except for nobody went down. I'm telling you, yeah. nobody's just, watching the game. Yeah. Right, just, just, thank you, Carl. Thanks, Appreciate Carl. it. Just, yeah, just to kind of demystify everybody, I did a piece for the Inquirer. It'll be in actually tomorrow's physical paper, but it's online at Inquirer.com. Uh, my colleague Matt Breen and I are doing a series of stories tied to the Kelly Green era of the team because the Eagles are going to wear those jerseys tomorrow night against the Dolphins. And I did a look at Wes Hopkins, primarily his life after football. Uh, He died in 2018 at age 57. Uh, It's really a sad story. He he pretty much drank himself to death after he retired from football. But the anecdote that Carl's referring to is infamous in Eagles lore. Oh, yeah. In that Wes's wife at the time, Erica, found out that one of Wes's mistresses was at the game. And I didn't get into this in the story, but this is actually what happened. She was introducing herself to people as Wes Hopkins' wife. So Erica Hopkins went into the stands after Wes Hopkins' girlfriend and chaos ensued. And as Carl said, it was Ali Frazier life. As I have heard the story, she was getting some assists from some of the other Eagles' wives who were not letting that woman run away. Yes. As she was battering her and ended up tumbling down the steps. Yes. It was a yeah. pretty and a legendary scene. moment at the vet. By the way, it is. Tomorrow is the Kelly Green release. And uh, I'm ex- I got to say, I am excited about it. I love it. I think you got to be of a certain age to like really care about. You, you got to care about the Randall, Reggie White, th- those teams. Oh yeah. Be, well, you're old enough to do it. That but, that was those were the Eagles that I remember being right. Good. So our producer Ben Kenny, Ben, how old are you? Twenty what? I'm twenty five. Right. So that I'm assuming it doesn't mean anything not old to enough. You. It right. doesn't. Right. The Eagles to me are midnight green. Yeah. As they switch, think they switched ninety five, ninety six, yes. something yes, they like did. that. Yep. 
And so you got to be at least, say, born 1980. Thing. You got to be in your 40s for it to matter. Mm-hmm. To me, it matters. To you, it matters. By the way, speaking of all that, tomorrow on the pregame show, which we'll be doing on the 10th, right outside the front entrance of the stadium, we have, uh, first of all, we have Jeremy White. Reggie White's son is going to join us. Oh, that's great. Which I'm looking forward to. And our alumni guest of the week, Willie T. Ah. Willie Thomas. Another underrated, terrific Eagles Absolutely. player. Absolutely. And he wore the midnight green, my friend, and he wore it well. He did. 215-592-9494. Oh, let's get your pick. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I am concerned to the point that I think that the Eagles are going to lose this game. I do. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like Mike McDaniel as a coach. I think he's innovative. I think Miami is benefiting from the fact, as you said, they haven't had a particularly strong schedule, but that can generate confidence in a team. Uh, and as you said, Glenn, the, the injuries and shortcomings in the secondary, I think it's Dolphins 31, Eagles 28. Okay. I do. Uh, can't argue with you. We'll see. I'll make my pick tomorrow. Which okay. Will be nice. and right. Hopefully something will make me more optimistic than that. Well, maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> Bryce Harper hits three homers yeah, tonight uh, and you'll yeah, come right. in tomorrow and uh, say Eagles, Eagles 35, momentum. Dolphins nothing. See, there's there's not momentum within baseball from day to day, but momentum of a baseball win can help the Eagles tomorrow. That's my story and I'm sticking with it. Mike <laughs> Sales, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Mike Sielski, Glenn Macknow. I'll be on tomorrow morning at 10 with Jody McDonald, and then I'll be on tomorrow morning at uh, tomorrow afternoon, excuse me, at 5 up until kickoff with Merrill Mike as we do the pregame with a gang of thousands down at the stadium. So please come down and see us. Say hello. As I said, Willie Thomas is going to join us as the great alumni. Looking forward to Reggie, uh, Reggie White's son as well is going to be part of that. So we will see you then. I'll see you at the game tomorrow. You will see me at the game. In the All right. What do you got going today? To, tonight, I am going to my 30-year high school reunion. Ooh, Upper Dublin ooh, High School class ooh, of 1993. Uh, unrequited crushes. <laughs> I don't know if any of them are going to be there. We shall see. Uh, but it's going to be interesting because the uh, the place we're going to, we have the upstairs to ourselves, and there had better be televisions there. I'm just saying well, that. Well, okay, yeah. I, I So I'm going to a wedding party today. Friends of mine, uh, Jeff and Martha, got married back like in the spring, I think, like in April and May, mm-hmm. uh, but decided that they're going to have like their wedding party with all of their friends mm-hmm. and family today. Yeah. And I'm sure when they chose this this date, they didn't think like, oh, there could be a world tour there to book. So this starts at five. Ah, I'm okay. going to get there and uh, spend a lot of time wishing everybody well and get the hell out. They better cut the cake by seven o'clock. <laughs> Quick story about my own wedding, yeah. which was on a it was on Friday, September 28th, 2007. We did it. Kate and I held it on a Friday night because so many of my friends who were going to be there were sports writers. We didn't want to do it on a Saturday. Yeah. In the fall. The cover. Think, right. Yeah, yeah. So we did it on a Friday night. What's going on on the Friday night? The first game of Phillies Nationals, the weekend that they're trying to overtake the Mets to win oh. the division. So Cole Hamels is throwing oh. eight great innings, striking out 13 or 14. Yeah, nobody cares. And, right. and everybody's do, running out off the dance floor to go Let's watch go. him. There yep. you go. All right. Exactly. And by the way, I said it before, but I'm going to say it one more time. Buy your tickets November 7th at the Players Club of Swarthmore. Ray Dittinger. And Ray's going to be a guest on the show tomorrow, as a matter of fact. There you go. And I are going to do a sports movie night, show clips of great movies, talk about them, have fun with the audience. Friday, November 7th, pcstheater.org is where you get your tickets. Anthony, we got real just a little bit of time. What's on your mind? Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? All right. Good. Uh, well, 
talk Phillies but real quick in Eagles point if they don't uh, run the ball at least 40 percent of the time with the running backs and uh, win time of possession they'll probably lose tomorrow agreed agreed uh, so last night um, I can't blame the offense for the Phillies loss um, even though they haven't looked like they have when they play at home since they've been in Arizona they did put five runs on the board um, so for me it was pitching and Rob Thompson, uh, you know, with the managing of the of the, of the bullpen. Um, I I think that you know if you're going to trust these guys, you know, then you know like trust them. Like instead of hooking them and, and taking them and, and bringing another reliever in yep. so quickly, I think it, I think it was the one. I don't know if it was Soto or Sir Anthony who had uh, two outs with two men on first and third. And it was Soto. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was Soto. Hey, hey, we hear you. I got to run, but yeah, I mean, generally, I agree with his point of view. Yeah. All right, let's talk to our producer, Ben Kenny. Find out what did we forget to talk about today. All right, it's time to uh, – some lighthearted uh, pieces to the conversation. Oh, some good. brevity. Awesome. Ah. Yeah. Uh, James Harden has left the 76ers. Oh, that's lighthearted. <laughs> it, it's, he's we, – we don't know where he is. No, we know he, where well, he is. He's, he's apparently in Houston. He has an absence that they call – he's dealing with personal matters. But he left. He's not played in any preseason games. They start the season now on Thursday. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he's he's not going to be playing, I no. assume. No, this, this could go really bad for them because Harden will torment them in a way Ben Simmons didn't. For all the faults that Ben Simmons had, at least when he went away, he stayed away and he kept his mouth shut and just waited to be traded. Harden is not going to do that, I don't think. He wants to nail Daryl Morey in the he'll Sixers. He'll be disruptive. I think he'll be disruptive. <laughs> well... Awesome. Puts a fun angle on it. All right. What, yeah. what else? Um, I, I wanted to touch on here. Like, I, I don't know your guys' experience watching this series, the Phillies at the Diamondbacks. I, I think Chase Field is one of the biggest atrocities I've ever seen to a, <laughs> for a sports stadium. <laughs> Seriously, it, it, it is a cavernous hellhole with no personality, mm-hmm. with fake turf, mm-hmm. with, uh, as you said, the people sitting behind home plate in weird chairs with signs. Yeah. Like it's, it's a disaster. It's not a, yes, you're, you're correct. Well, yes, but you know what it does, Ben? It gets those poor people out of the 100-degree heat. I've, I have covered baseball games at Chase Field, and I can tell you one day I walked from my car into the stadium. It was 107 degrees. I was so thankful to be inside Chase Field. Don't look at it as a baseball stadium. Look at it as a way station to keep people from, you know. The respite from dying of exactly. heat stroke. Sure. I Listen, I've never been there. Mike has been there. From what I see on TV, I tend to agree with you, Ben. It's, it's, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. The sight lines are bad, too. Like, it's not pleasant to watch a game there on Agreed. television. Agreed. Um, and, yeah, their fans look weird. All right. What else? Um, all right. The, the last one. Glenn, I saw you tweet about this. There are some uh, considerations to go into the Hall of Fame with, like, the Veterans Committee and oh, everything. Oh, yes, yes. Listen to this list. And and among the list yes. is one Joe West. Yes. Cowboy, Cowboy. Joe. This is the most you, – you have the whole list? I do. All right. It read is. the list because this is, what, like, managers, umpires, yeah. these guys. Tell me – he'll read the list. You tell me who's a yes for you. Okay. It is Cito Gaston. Ow. Eh, pro- two, no. two-time World Series winning manager. Please, Joe Davey Garth. Johnson. Maybe. Jim Leland. Maybe. Um, Ed Montague. Umpire. Mm. Hank Peters. Never heard of him. Exact. Yeah. Uh, Lou Pinella. Mm. The aforementioned Joe West. No. And Bill White. Oh, Bill White should be in. Bill White should absolutely be So Bill be White's in. at the top of the list for you? Yes. He's, okay. he's the slam dunk on the list. He was a very good player, first baseman for the Cardinals, played for the Phillies for a little bit too. Yeah. 
uh, and was the uh, wait National League president. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not the American. He was the president of the Yankees yes. and a broadcaster for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. Uh, you know what? I would say him one and Leland. I think I yeah, would. Yeah, would consider. But Joe West. I know. I what know. in the world? That's like a like a practical joke. Yeah, that's that's not good. Nobody should vote for Joe West. Uh, no, never has an umpire made the game more about him, which is what it's not supposed to be, than Joe West did. All right. Nice job by you, Ben Kenny. Uh, Mike, enjoy your reunion tonight. Thank you. And then everybody enjoy the game. And let us all hope that tomorrow when we reconvene, again, I'll <laughs> be here 10 in the morning with Jody, that it's going to be peace and love and harmony. And Zach Wheeler will have won the game and we'll all feel a little bit better as we head into an Eagles game that Mike says is going to, what's going to happen? 31-28 Dolphin? Oh, well. Sorry. So, <laughs> so all of your good feel, the good feelings will last. Man, for, I could mess up a party. For about 12 hours. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Coming up, Go Birds Radio. Now listen to this. It's Elliot Shore Parks and Devin Caney. Is that right? Let me say this about Devin Caney. Yes. Uh, Devin was a guest host with me on on my show, What's Brewing. Mm-hmm. Actually, that episode airs at 5 o'clock today. So there the, their show will be done before the Phillies, after their show, put on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Devin was a, a guest host on What's Brewing with me. And Devin, if you've ever seen her on social media, has a thing where she'll like chug a beer at yep. the stadium. So I challenged her. Oh. Two beer enter, one beer leave. We will see who won the beer. By the way, it's not the 30 ounces that Jason Kelsey did. Ah, okay. Well, yeah. The, he, doesn't, we to, he doesn't chug them so much as he dumps them down his yeah, throat. Yeah, I had two shows to do that. Yeah. Day, so I had to pace myself. <laughs> but Devin and I engaged in a beer chugging contest. I'll let you guys watch later and see who won. Mike, always a pleasure. You too, buddy. Everybody be well. I'll see you tomorrow morning right here on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
hearts. <laughs> <laughs>